from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. It's a week out Friday, August 5th, 2016, and it's the Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's show is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible content includes more than 250,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine, newspaper publishers, and business information providers. They have free apps for your iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows phones. Those six of you using Windows phones, you can still get audiobooks. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody at the at the Audible team is like, "I'm on the Windows team." <laughs> okay. Hey, interestingly, so I had a meeting at the Gates Foundation in Seattle a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Everybody on iPhones. Everybody no. who worked there, I saw, had an iPhone. I would think that would like not be a, that. That's like driving a Chevy to the Ford plant. That's I what thought. I thought. Yeah. I, I commented like they make on you it. Park I'm like, are you allowed to do that? They're well, like, yes. Well, it's like when you went to Nike, they, they were like, they're like, hey, if you could, please don't wear Adidas here. No, not if you could. It said oh, yeah. you're not allowed to come in the company store wearing another product like Adidas or Under Armour, etc. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, you had to only wear Nike or non-branded clothing and shoes. Anyhow, Interesting. good good for Audible. Yeah, audible.com. There you go. <laughs> Jesse, you're listening to an audiobook right now on Audible. Yeah, Chuck Klosterman's But What If We're Wrong. You may have heard him on the podcast recently. His book, I'm a big fan of his, all of his books, but his most recent is absolutely fascinating. That will make you question the nature of truth and the reality that you've come to believe. It's fun. It's entertaining. It, it's, an, it's an excellent <laughs> listen. It'll make a, 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 an hour-long car drive uh, fly by. Yeah. This is the problem if writing your own book is you feel like it's, I think it's got to be hard to go like, am I the right guy to do the audio book? Yeah, because it's like, I have a face for radio. Right. You I know? would not do an audio book yeah. of a book I write. Yeah, just because it, you're great at radio doesn't mean you should get a TV show. Right. No, so, like, so just because I'm a great writer doesn't mean I have a voice to convey my words in an audio format. It's not. It's a rarity that someone can write a beautiful book and have a wonderful voice. Shauna, I love if, her. I love her audio books because she just has like a lovely, warm. Shauna Nequist, uh, author and friend, who's coming up later on the show today, actually. Yes, but no better example of this than that was somebody that we're soon to talk to. Yes. Uh, the the other thing is is like it's a bait and switch sometimes with the audio books where you have this wonderful sounding voice. Yeah. And it just like, wait, wait, you're not the author, but you aren't sure, but you kind of, anyway, uh, audible right now is offering our listeners a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash relevant podcast and browse over 250,000 audio programs. You can download a title for free and just start listening right away. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash relevant podcast. Can I give an audible hot tip? Yeah. A little hot tip. Hot tip on audible. Start day one, listening to it at two X speed. Because it's going to be hard to break into that like a month after you've got addicted to Audible. But that makes the books fly by. Start at 2x, you'll get used to it, and all of a sudden, you're reading... You're a speed reader. You're a speed listener. Exactly right. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Like I said, I'm your host, Cameron. Here with me in our studios, Eddie Big Cat Koffeltz. Cameron, nice to see you, buddy. Over there on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer, Chandler Strang. Hello. My brother. On the Skype (laughs) line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And joining us today, a special guest sitting in for the show... Science Mike McArgue is joining us. 
Hello, everyone. Yeah, now that. <laughs> now that's a voice that I could listen to. Mike, I got a question. Have you recently been in a studio practicing your recording voice? I have been uh, grueling in a studio practicing my recording voice. That is true. Oh, man. Listen For to what voice. reason would you have been doing were you, uh, this. I face that dilemma about whether you read your own book or not. There is and, no dilemma. Uh, there is no dilemma with you. Of Mike, course you read you your own book. You didn't have that dilemma. What do you yeah, Because you have a new book coming out, uh, Finding God in the Ways, which I have and is excellent. Uh, I don't have the audio version. How'd you get it? Uh, I, I know somebody. This is I know somebody. <laughs> Super messed up, Mike. But anyhow, keep going with the show. So, so but, but here's my question for you, Mike. Did you, because there's a lot of personal stuff in, in the book, but did, did you have any question of whether or not you were the person to read it, the audio version of it? I, I didn't until I started it. Um, <laughs> I felt really confident. People actually requested I read the book because I'm a podcaster and they yeah. like my voice. Uh, but I got in there, and not only did I cry a lot because I'm a big baby, yeah. Um, but I also constantly mispronounce things because I'm a person who reads and never hears these words aloud. Oh, and it's kind of an endearing yeah. thing with my audience. They make fun of me at shows. People wear T-shirts with eagles on them and say eagletarian um, <laughs> instead of egalitarian. Oh, but, no, uh, you didn't. When I would do that on the book, she would stop me and force me to pronounce words correctly. When you say she, I'm assuming this is some sort of like book producer. The producer, yeah. And I just... I couldn't do it. Like I would have to say do these takes over and over to try to undo my bizarro pronunciation. So it really made me question whether I ever want to record an audiobook again. <laughs> my no, there's no I question. feel like I would be five pages in and was like, this is a terrible idea. Like you get some old sweet British guy to read my book and let's just call this thing a day. Yeah, because the content seriously. the content you would produce, Jesse, is the the voice that I hear when I read it is <laughs> is a sweet British man's voice. He's very when I say sweet, I mean cool. Not yeah. I mean he's probably pretty uh, like a curmudgeon in my mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, like when I say sweet, I don't mean like oh that's a sweet. No, old I was man. Like no, I mean like an from old like yeah. ooh, like Gandalf ooh, ooh. type of guy. Oh, oh it's yeah. not like Boulder Dash. <laughs> it's not like ooh, Boulder Dash. <laughs> it's not that guy. It's more. I mean, like, I would be open. I would probably audition a lot of old. British curmudgeons from, yeah. for that role. Mike, I have a question about this. Now, when you got emotional, which is understandable, you're kind of reliving a lot of your own story yeah, there. And the, yeah, and the book has a lot of emotional stories in it. Does she say, all right, stop, pull it together, or do you just kind of let the... Is this she, again, the spirit of books? Yeah, is it your or wife? Is it, or is it a producer? <laughs> it's your daughter? The producer, director. And he, he, I actually learned a secret um, that... Help me understand, like when I'm on stage and and when it works and when it doesn't. Mm -hmm. If you get on the verge of tears, but don't cry, your audience will cry because there's this energy that ah. they feel that has to be expressed. But if you go all the way into crying, then they won't cry because you express the energy. So if, as I was reading, I got to the point where I actually started to cry, then it stop and pull yourself together. But if you kind of stay right on that edge, oh. that's just good radio. Oh man, can we do an ask science mic right now? This I, also this also <laughs> applies in uh, airplane rides. If you, <laughs> if you just just if you're just sitting there on the verge of tears the whole time, yeah, everybody yeah. else around you cries. Every, well, everyone bawling, else around you is very nervous because they're like, "Why am I in close proximity to a man who's about to have a nervous breakdown?" I know this yeah. from a personal fact, and it will come up later on the show because we recorded some uh, the, the the show this week. Our guest coming up later is Shauna Nequist. Oh, we love her. Um, wow. Jesse and I were up in Chicago this weekend for Lollapalooza, yes. and we spent time with Shauna, and we uh, had a conversation in the park, and uh, and uh, she talks all about her new book and stuff like. 
like that. Last week we mentioned, you know, because we went to Lollapalooza, that uh, we would do our Lollapalooza recap uh, yeah. this week. Well, plans change. We did record one. It was very yeah. long. And so we thought, uh, since we wanted to spend as much time with Shauna as yeah. possible, and that's kind of a longer segment than normal, um, that the show would be better if the Lollapalooza segment uh, was next week. So. Yeah. Uh, that kind of music recap and um, taking you on a journey of what we experienced at Lollapalooza will appear on next week's episode. But I read, I finished reading Shauna's book on the plane right up there because I wanted to be a good friend and have read it when I saw her. Yeah. And mm. it wrecked me and yeah. I was bawling on the plane. <laughs> and as you will hear me tell her, the Chinese lady sitting next to me was very uncomfortable with the fact that I had like tears streaming uh, down Understandably my face. so. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like Shauna's book wrecked but me. It either was great. way, I was the person crying. next to you was uncomfortable with your tears. I'm going to read Science Mike's book and be yeah. wrecked too. Yeah. That, oh, Mike, that's a good point because when I preach, I usually get, there's a couple of parts in a sermon where I'll get a little bit like, <laughs> yes. like right? But I've never cried. But if I cried, I feel like all of a sudden people, like it switches from, like it's empathetic, like you've lost the... You go from empathy to sympathy if you cry. If you don't cry, it's empathy. If you cry, you get sympathy. Yeah, see, see, I, I'm trying to like put that in context. Like, I think the last time I've cried with anything culture-related uh, was the cartoon animated Transformer movies when Optimus Prime... <laughs> when Optimus Prime when he's he, on his deathbed and he says, we have the power. We do, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then Bumblebee looks down at him. And, <laughs> and, and the all spark goes out. <laughs> Hon- honest to God. I still can't even think about that movie, to be honest. I was traumatized. They didn't have to kill the hero in a children's movie. Wait, so, wait, are you talking about the animated one? Yeah, so I'm talking about the animated one. Oh, okay, because I don't remember Shia LaBeouf yeah. having that moment with the uh, Optimus no. Prime. Because yeah, exactly. <laughs> Michael Bay butchered it, and I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> real, real quick, when was, the, when was the last time you cried? You don't have to tell me what it is. When was the last time you cried? Who are you asking? Anybody. Has I, anybody I, cried reading, in the last month? Reading Shauna's book on the plane. Oh, okay, Shauna's book on the yeah. plane. Jesse, have you cried recently? Um, I don't remember. Eddie, you cry all the time. All the time. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday, Tuesday, 10 o'clock is a go-to, but that's because I'm in counseling. <laughs> so that's just a, that's a free hour of, hey, let's, let's, I, I mean, I cry as she's kind of asking me like, so how was this week? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> where do I begin? Yeah, pretty good. Um, well, yeah, my girls will ask me because I'm just like an auto crier. The girls will ask yes. me like, are you crying right now? And I'm like, yes, I'm starting to a little bit. Or Lucy will say like, are your eyes red? And I'm like, yep, starting to cry, but it's okay. I'm just really proud of you. Um. Man, I totally respect that. The crying dad, like every TV show, there's a dramatic moment. Both my daughters turn it, look at and look at me just waiting for me to cry every time. Right. And I never let them down. Never. No. See, I, have, I have the thing where like, I feel like if I cried, like, you know, I don't know, over something soon, it would be like that Jerry Seinfeld where he's like touching his eye and it's like, what is this salty discharge? What is happening to my body? Uh, how the heck do I transition out of that? Well, you don't. I mean, just... Speaking of modern westernist detachment... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you transition out of that. <laughs> That's how a professional does it. Well That's done. good. Um, so, hey, Mike, tell us about the book, though. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was an emotional uh, journey for you, but tell us, tell the listeners, like, you know, what the book's about. It's my story of growing up uh, evangelical, becoming an atheist as an adult, and then meeting a God that I didn't believe in. 
and my attempt to process and understand that experience through cosmology and neuroscience. If that's not the weirdest elevator pitch for a book, I don't know what could be. So you went to beauty school? <laughs> yes, I went to beauty school. Cosmo- yeah. Oh, that's cosmetology. Oh, that's not cosmology. But that's that is also that is also a part of a big part of my a big story. part of his journey. Yeah. It is a huge part finding God in mascara. Yes. <laughs> what was the process of like telling people about this book who don't already know some of your story? Because like I've listened to I think everything you've ever put out. So like I get the I like I've heard pieces of this and I'm looking forward to seeing it kind of all together in a book, but when you were talking to editors and publishers about this, how did they how did they hear that interesting description? Well, I think um we're in the middle of this modern American religious upheaval where we see this great cultural migration away from institutional religion and and in America Christianity specifically. Uh, but what we're finding in the numbers is that people aren't as much turning away from belief in God or spiritual things as they are in specific organizational expressions of belief in God. And because of that, they kind of look at this story of me taking this very normal American journey, but subverting the assumption that what that means is you end up in secularism. And it's a book that helps Hopefully, a lot of people that don't feel like there's spiritual materials or religious books out there for them that embrace mystery, that are open to possibility, and makes them feel like they are understood and maybe even have a home in modern American religion. Um, so that's the the editor, uh, yeah. the pitch. You know, it's, for me, this is my first book. I'm very at ease with uh, with my audience through the podcast. Uh, but it's it's tough for me to get past the like innate self consciousness of like oh man you've got to hear about my book it's hard for me to not feel like I'm uh, selling a sham wow or something Holy which is God. ironic because it's this really personal intense lived experience and a genuine attempt to bring people comfort hmm. and sham wow itself is a scientific mystery yeah <laughs> no one knows no one knows how that it soaks up that much actually Mike <laughs> Deep, but but well, but real quick Mike the the one thing I like. A lot of people would assume that they, they see science and they see religion on different ends of the same spectrum. Like, you know, you, you put your faith in neither one or the other. Uh, but, but your journey has to do with <clears throat> bringing those two things together. Uh, so do you think that people who, it's one of your hopes for that people that read that book that maybe uh, have abandoned religions uh, or abandon their faith for reasons of science that they will maybe be more open-minded to seeing how the two mm. can merge? Yeah, so the point of the book is what science can do to help us understand our religious experiences, find the value in them, find the merit. It's not about you know me laying out some specific take on this is what you should believe about God, but about how you can use these scientific insights you've learned in your your journey of self-discovery to understand and appreciate those moments you've had with God and maybe view them less cynically. So in the same way mm. that a ShamWow is uh, <laughs> hydrophilic uh, polymer fibers that wow. we don't know that we don't know liquid, it for sure but continue in this book science <laughs> is a mechanism that helps us deepen our appreciation for religion and spirituality not diminish it. So I think every mention or endorsement of this book should should start with the phrase like ShamWow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do love that that Mike can do that though. You're just like it's almost like you can just have him pull out of a hat something and be like work that in. 
<laughs> he can do it. You know what? It's just a metaphor for what we're talking about. Yeah. Jim Wow as a metaphor for science and faith. We should do that. We should we should do uh we have the t- the table topics uh, cards behind us. We should do like a oh, a yeah. lightning round of table topics just for science mic. Right. We're just talk about that thing. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> explain it. We're gonna do that during slices. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't we're the show along. Uh, it's time for our weekly look back at what happened in culture and entertainment. It's time for in case you missed it. Hey, in case you missed it, uh, this week Chris Pratt. Uh, you know who you know him. He's, oh, yeah, he was crudgy. Now he's good looking. I mean, he's getting the biggest roles there are right now. Right. He was the star of Guardians of the Galaxy. And, uh, you know, a bunch of other uh, Magnificent Seven, a bunch of other big action movies uh, that are coming out. Jurassic, Jurassic World. Uh, uh, yeah. Mike, is it possible to train dinosaurs like he did? Just answer definitively. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you would imagine that they would be uh, conditioned organisms, uh, although I think that movie may have overstated <laughs> our understanding of the brain development of velociraptors in particular. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. this week- sorry, sorry. We're going to have to agree to disagree here. Yeah. Let's move on. Because he trained them, and I wish you would go and watch the movie again. They are loyal creatures. He has a way with them. It's like a dog. Did you hear, Mike, that brontosaurs didn't actually exist? Did really? You? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so what, the, what are those constituent bones? components of brontosaurs existed? We just accidentally put the wrong skull with the wrong body. Right. So, oh. so it doesn't. I'm waiting. Can I just say this? I'm waiting for them to make the same admission with Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, like arms. those little, little <laughs> these arms. arms. Okay, here's the thing. I don't know why we thought that these arms fit the Tyrannosaurus Rex ever, but we've had it wrong the whole time. This is they're obviously we're in too for deep. a much smaller. We're, we're in too deep. We yeah, can't go commit. back now. Yeah. There's too many yeah. children's well, science yeah. books that have those drawings. Well, <laughs> in the in the briefing that Trump and Clinton get this week, yeah. that you know the national security briefing, they're like, all right, number one. We have known for 50 years that yeah. Tyrannosaurus Rex has had very long arms, but we're super embarrassed about it. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Because <laughs> what would, Mike, what would those little arms be used for? Nothing. I, well, can I just say this as a teaser? <laughs> they can't even why, why hear from Mike, who actually knows? Jesse, go I ahead. have a teaser for Slices <laughs> about a government science conspiracy that will blow your mind. So do not leave the podcast. Early. All right. Well, that's going to, well, anyway, Chris Pratt this week, he led a Twitter prayer for a fan's young son suffering from brain cancer. He has 3.8 million Twitter followers and he got them all to pray for this boy. Um, after a fan reached out to him. So Spencer Hodinet uh, tweeted uh, at Chris Pratt, would love a retweet asking followers to say a prayer for a four-year-old fan. Psalm 107, 28 through 30 and Matthew 21, 21. In response, wow. Pratt tweeted, the power of prayer saved my son. This boy, Sam, needs a miracle. Say a prayer for Sam, even if you never have before. Try. Another Twitter user asked, uh, how so? And Pratt uh, replied with a prayer. Lord, I pray for Sam. May you put your healing hand on him, Father. May his family find grace in this difficult time. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, everybody. Yeah. Uh, back in 2012, uh, he told People Magazine that his own son was born prematurely and spent a month in intensive care. And this is what he said. Uh, we were scared for a long time. We prayed a lot. It restored my faith in God. Not that it needed to be restored, but it really redefined it. The baby was so beautiful to us. And I look back at the photos of him and it must have been jarring for other people to come in and see him. But to us, he was so beautiful and perfect. Mm-hmm. But Chris Pratt, everyone. That, that that's an example of like a celebrity Twitter story that restores your hope in the whole celebrity social media, you know, enterprise. Yeah. Like it's just cool to see, you know. In case you missed it, on a totally different note, I don't know if you heard this, but Apple is soon going to be replacing its little handgun emoji with a green water pistol. 
is the most controversial emoji out there, and uh, they finally, with their iOS 10 update, are going to be uh, uh, updating the emojis in the system, and um, that is making... But what an interesting moment that we have put put such value on what is an inanimate object, and... And there is now a well, a, not even an inanimate object, an, an, an inat, a picture of an inanimate object. Yeah, yeah. And, and said that we can't have this, and it's going to also. Uh, they're updating a lot of other familiar emojis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to feature more gender diversity and emojis that represent a variety of different professions, like women construction workers and and uh, things like that throughout the emoji universe. So. So this kind of illustrates an interesting thing about uh, communication standards like Unicode and the corresponding emojis. Because when individual manufacturers have the freedom and latitude to meet a certain descriptor, for example, like the gun icon or, uh, you know, diverse personhood icons, there's a chance, for example, if iOS is a water pistol and uh, Android is a handgun, you can mean to say a pretty frivolous thing and send a water pistol and someone can receive a handgun. So there's this really interesting dynamic in the ways that that kind of highlights the ambiguity of emojis and and even accelerates it because you can have different pictures that don't match the senders. That's why Cameron never wants to get chocolate ice cream. That's right. I never do. Sorry. (laughs) I hopped on it when we both fought for it. No, 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 that's fine. I'll send somebody who's on, you know, like a Windows phone, you know, like the, it, it just breaks the phone. The confused emoji, <laughs> and and on the Windows version, it's like an angry face, you know, and it's like they don't quite line up if you look at them side by side, you know. Uh, that's why I only text with people with blue bubbles. Mm-hmm. Well, well the, the interesting thing about the handgun icon too is there's been a couple of cases where people have gotten in actual legal trouble because they've sent like a message. Uh, you know, threatening someone, but not overtly threatening them, but like, you know, like you with a question, with like the, the uh, image of the handgun. Yeah. Or, or, and so, so yeah, like to, to Mike's point, like that, that will make prosecuting those types of threats more difficult and because it's impossible to interpret them if you're on multiple devices where the same you know icon actually has different representations okay but here's my question and maybe i'm taking this too far but are we watching the birth of a new language like is this emoji yeah because it seems crazy, but what's the difference between emoji as a symbol and a letter as a symbol? It's all just symbols. Well, one's that, phonetic and one is but isn't it, an image based representation. But but as are other. So it's like, like Chinese. Right. There, it's an image based representation. Like hieroglyph- I think like hieroglyphics would probably yeah, be. Yeah, it's more like a return to the more ancient forms of human communication that were pictorially driven. So we're going back, so we're going back to cave drawings, is what we're saying. So, so like the internet is just going to become a whole bunch of cave walls. I mean, a lot of text message strings are basically that now, you know? That is uh, true. I was at a, <coughs> a Christian concert the other night. Praise him. And I was uh, hanging next to... All you to, needed to do was praise hands, praise uh, Yeah, hands. which I did on my post. <laughs> I did. I, it was a picture of a Hillsong United show, and I did praise hands, praise hands, praise hands. Anyway. Yeah, praise hands. Uh, but I was, standing, I was standing back there, and, and one of the other artists was there, and her phone was sitting <laughs> next to her, and it kind of lit up, and I glanced down, and her lock screen was just full of text, right? I would say 90% of the texts were nothing but emojis. It was just like, oh, wow. like long, long lines of emojis. And I think this is what... 23-year-old girls communicate with. Yeah. That's what I I find it intimidating and confusing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What what, what, what did you, what does this mean? Like, I don't, 
I know there's intent to this message, but I don't receive any information. <laughs> right. Yeah, are you crying? Here's my thing. Are you crying laughing with me or crying laughing at me? Like, why did you send that? And when it's the eight in a row, you're like, oh, you're writing a sentence to me. I can't, this isn't just like a little no, like no, a heart was, at the end. But of there's an- 23 hearts. That was the thing. It's like I was, when I glanced down, it was like 23 hearts was the entirety of the text. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Or it's like, you know. So they're saying like I'm happy for you, or I love that, or you know whatever. But it's not just one heart. See, you and I use our strength. Is overkill. Right. So, so when Eddie and I text each other with emoji, you try to craft actual full sentences. Right. Yeah. Right. But as but but as you're the only one I do that with because I think it's more like a here's a puzzle. Hey, in case you missed it this week, Drake and Kanye announced or not announced, but they might be releasing an album together, which would pretty much officially end the title and Apple music rivalry. While on stage at the OVO Fest in Toronto, Kanye asked the crowd, is y'all ready for this album? I wasn't talking about Pablo. I wasn't talking about views. I was going to ask y'all right now, are y'all ready for this album? Pointing to Drake. Um, Kanye West has been one of the uh, owners and more public faces of the title streaming service and his latest album The Life of Pablo was originally a title exclusive release. Drake has been a spokesperson for Apple Music and first released views on Apple and there have been rumors recently that Apple Music may actually buy title and uh, get access to its lineup of high profile artists and owners like Rihanna and Jay-Z and Kanye. Mm. So, And then last week, Kanye took to Twitter, of course, to implore the people behind the services to make a deal happen. He tweeted, this title Apple beef is bleeping up the music game. We all gonna be dead in 100 years. Let the kids have the music. I need Tim Cook, Jay-Z, Dez, Jimmy, Larry, me and Drake, Scooter on the phone or in a room this week. How many tweets was that? Uh, one. Apple, wow. give Jay his check for title now and stop trying to act like you, Steve. There Mike, you I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on the title Apple uh, controversy. It's not controversy. I want them to merge because I'm an Apple Music subscriber and I would love to see what they could do together. That'd be well, the only oh, yeah. thing that title has to offer, like they have a, a relatively limited subscriber base. Literally, the only thing they have to offer is their access to some really great exclusive music by you know, virtue of who their quote-unquote owners are. Yeah. yeah, right. There you go. Right, but we've sort of exit the initial innovators phase in streaming, and now you're entering, like, consolidation and market share grabs, like, as any industry matures. Right. And so at this point, strategically, exclusive content might be the single best investment Apple could make in order to weaken Spotify, especially because artists are primarily frustrated with Spotify over the free tier the devaluing of music and the lower royalty rates it represents. Hmm. So Apple, if they acquire title, actually could position themselves not only as the most artist friendly, but also as having, you know, the broadest device support um, <laughs> and being the most customer friendly. So it could be a really smart strategic move. I think so we've interesting. Seen, yeah. I think we've seen <laughs> so the new model. I think we've seen it. The new model is what Apple's been doing right. with Drake's album. They released it exclusively on Apple Music for two weeks, and then it went to other retailers and yeah. streaming mm-hmm. platforms. Uh, last Friday, DJ Khaled's new album, huge uh, hip-hop album, same thing, two-week exclusive on Apple Music. There's there's rumors that this week, and by the time this podcast comes out, we'll know whether or not this is true, but there's rumors that on Friday, right. Frank, Ocean, oh, Frank, Frank Ocean, Ocean. is going to release an album exclusively on t- Apple Music for two weeks. And I think that's the, the future, because that'll protect two weeks of people purchasing the album, 
you know, for, mm-hmm. for the business model. And then, and then it'll go wider to streaming services after the initial flurry. Because like you release a book, you release an album, 90% of your sales are going to be in that first couple of weeks, yeah. just like with a movie opening weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, protect that for the artist, for the revenue, mm-hmm. and then you can go wide with creating larger fan bases after the fact. You, I think you, it's you, a both and. You don't see it like Netflix, where eventually what they have in their exclusive library, which is the original content that they have produced, is going to be the differentiator. No, the HBO Netflix thing. I don't think. I don't think that's it. I think the artists need. I think artists need global platforms. They need. They need to have as many listeners and fans as possible. And if you were locked into one platform, I think you'd limit sales too much. Yeah, um, honestly. So it's not in the best interest of the artist to do that. You know. It's it would be in Apple's best interest, but not the artist. And I think the artist would make that deal. But do Apple do but, artists actually make any money off Apple? Is it like it's better, uh, it's but, but it's marginally marginally better. better. And, and top artists make a lot of money, right? Yeah, well, your, the Drake your, thing. your indies are are starving to death, but the top level streaming royalties are actually uh, a, a significant sum of money. So the people that are like okay, but but like. I'm trying to think of like who would be like an indie artist that's but that, still really But that's popular. the same as like, okay, we went to Lollapalooza this weekend. The massive artists playing the main stage are going to get seven-figure checks. And then the indie artists playing, you know, to smaller crowds are going to get smaller checks. I well, mean, well, see, because the, the revenue models for music, especially if you're not in the top 50 artists on the planet, like pretty much everyone below that, their revenue is different. They're not getting royalties and you know, uh, kickbacks from streaming or even that much from album sales because not a lot of people are buying albums. They're mostly making them from touring and merch. And, and uh, placement. And licensing. Yeah, yeah. licensing. Uh, uh, you know, commercials and mm. movies. Yeah. So that's actually the primary way that mm. I would say, I, we, <laughs> Mike is very good friends with people like Michael Gunger. I, I would I'd be curious to hear Michael chime in on this because like I would guess that a big chunk of their revenue comes from like licensing and placements, mm. you know, and, and obviously touring as well. But. Right. Well, touring usually is like a, a, a just a bag of financial pain, huh. uh, but the merch is actually what offsets what you lose on the touring. Uh, and then what you what you, I think a smart approach is like what Gunger did with Wild, One Wild Life is to have a direct to fans so that yeah. your closest customers you sell directly to them and bypass the middleman, hmm. so they get the album at a cheaper rate and you make more money than you would have made going through Apple. The only kind of trade-off he makes, you don't chart quite as well when you go on iTunes, but it doesn't matter because you can feed your family. So I think you're going to see more and more artists moving towards a combination hmm. of uh, exclusive bonuses and a lower price point for their closest friends with a direct relationship, that initial window where you capture the most sales with a, a pay-per-product model, and then moving towards that streaming broad, wide appeal in the post-release window. Louis C.K. has been pretty innovative in this yeah. sphere. Like yeah. he, his, yes. he, he's been hit or miss business wise, but yeah. he's he's taking the other cool things that 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 artists can do now, especially musicians, you know, as opposed to like filmmakers and stuff, is like premium customer experiences where you can get like a limited edition numbered vinyl of the record that may cost you thirty five dollars, but if you're a real fan of the music, that's something that has value to it. Well, like Chandler, how do you make money off your Trapped in the Kitchen series? 
I don't yet. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So anyhow, it's <laughs> not <laughs> so trapped in the kitchen. It's, it's just uh, a donation to humanity at this point. Yeah, basically. <laughs> What's trapped in the kitchen from? <laughs> trapped in the cage, probably. Trapped in the, trapped ca- in yeah. the cage. Or, oh. or trapped in the closet. The R. Kelly. Oh. R. Kelly. Yeah. R. Kelly. Yeah. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rock opera by R. Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever watched it? It's insane. I've watched. I've watched little bits and pieces, but I've never. I made can't it condone it. Right, because the the content itself. <laughs> but right? everybody go watch it. But <laughs> if, it is one of the most mind bending journeys. He's a he's a rough dude. He's an interesting fellow. Yeah. yeah. Hey, in case you missed it, uh, Mitch Hurwitz. Uh, we, we talked about this on the show. Yeah. Uh, the creator of Arrested Development. Uh, we talked about the fact that he may do this. He has done it. He has recut season four of Arrested Development to make it more watchable. Um, <laughs> he went back, he edited edited all of the episodes. Now, if you saw it, it's a, the Netflix season. Mm-hmm. Each episode kind of focused on one character. Yeah. And uh, it was odd and it wasn't what the fans loved about the show. So he went back, he cracked it open, and, uh, and he made it a lot like the first three seasons. Each episode was cut from 30 minutes to 22 minutes. The episodes now integrate characters' plots into single stories, making the timeline linear. Um, the idea is to possibly put the season into uh, syndication or release a revamped version on Netflix. This is what he explained it this way. He said, I did this very ambitious thing where I made these Excel sheets with every single scene and how long it was in seconds. I put them all on magnetic paper, cut them up into squares, and sat there and moved all the pieces around. And then we made a narrative out of it. It was a crazy experiment. And he also wants to make a season five, so... I guess this is how he's keeping himself busy until that gets greenlit. So. Because I'm going to say, otherwise, like making crazy spreadsheets, cutting them up and spreading them all over your house for days and then rearranging them, if, if without the context, that is the behavior of an insane person. Yeah, I was saying, like you walk in and there's like string connecting them all, kind of like on the wire, you right, know? And, right. Yeah. He, he's getting and, like all the all the characters picture on the wall, but all the eyes are cut out for reasons that he never explains. Right. He's not cutting his fingernails. He's he's going the uh, Howard Hughes route. He's just going season five. Season so five. so who's who's asking you to recut season four? They all are. They all are. <laughs> 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 Aren't you? And then he looks at his wall of like every person that's ever been on Arrested Development with the eyes cut out and he starts having a conversation with him and pouring them tea. It's, 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 he's not in a good place. I don't mean to go metaphilosophical Why except that's you? my only trick. Um, <laughs> but isn't it interesting like Arrested Development, which it kind of existed on the novel side of the novel familiar media spectrum, then became familiar to its audience. And so when it tried to be true to what it was, which is novel innovative media its audience reacted negatively because it was no longer familiar and now he's having to correct and like take his novel and put it back in the no box. the audience reacted negatively because it wasn't good i think <laughs> i think the audience is fine with unfamiliar i think it was but just like, like to some degree good is is a is is a function he would have had a better shot doing that with season one than season right. four like at some point your innovation becomes the the dogma becomes the system Right, we've been conditioned to enjoy what one through three was, yeah. and we're just going to enjoy that. And you can't change the format. Oh, that's but to weird, Cameron's Mike. point, a lot of it was—I I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I do think a lot of it was execution. And yeah. I feel like it, it was like obviously, like in the next in the Netflix production paradigm, like content creators get 100% control and and almost zero oversight. At least that's the perception as a viewer where you almost saw that like whatever structure is in place with like at Fox or some network where they have people like previewing shows and, you know, giving notes to showrunners and stuff. 
Like that was for, for at least those seasons, I feel like it was a beneficial thing because they were tight and funny like season four. I it kinda, just wasn't as funny. I kind of wish he just doubled down on it and just said <clears throat> it is what it is. And the kind like the fact that he called a mulligan and said, oh, I made okay. a huge mistake. Yeah, I made a huge mistake. Right, exactly. That I kind of lose respect for that because yeah. at least before, whether I agreed Never. or liked it or not, it was like apparently his vision and this yeah. was well, what he intended. And I just heard an in- interesting interview with Michael K. Williams, who's been in the magazine before, and he was on my new favorite show, Any Given Wednesday, the Bill Simmons show. Yeah. Uh, it's the best. But he was talking about The Wire and how that one season where they went to the docks and the whole yeah. arc of the story was at the docks, yeah. how people were super critical of that and they hated it. But when you look at The Wire as a whole, right. you needed the season of the docks yeah. to realize that the world the of Baltimore Crime Absolutely. is larger yeah, it's and there's a supply chain. Crime. So it's, well, it's part of arrested development is I wonder if they had like if if he had doubled down and said this is our and, and then our if show. there's a season five, it's gonna be something even else. It's like I need to provide this other context to all the others. And it's like then you sit back and look at the full work of art and you actually understand and appreciate what season four was uh intended to be. You know what I mean? Like I, I hate that he's doing this. Well, do, do, do you guys, this is kind of a deep cut. Do you remember the episode of Breaking Bad? It was relatively controversial. It was called The Fly. And the entire, you know, Breaking Bad, every show was a beat in like this larger story and advanced yeah. the story forward in some way where the episode, you know, it, it was a serialized show. Like there was an independent episode except for one where Jesse and Walt got locked. It basically like got locked into the meth lab and uh, yes. There was like a fly flying around, and Walt was obsessed with catching the fly because he thought it was going to uh, introduce some sort of imper- in- imperfection it. to yeah. the process. Right, and it was like a super controversial show because it literally you could skip it and not miss anything. But Vince Gilligan has always stood by it and said it may be his the best of the series because it provides a microcosm for the rest of the, the the psychological dilemma that's going on in the character's head. But despite the controversy, like you're saying, he's unapologetic about it. And that, I feel like, makes it more essential. Yeah. Plus, it teaches an important lesson in making meth, is that something <laughs> as small as a fly really can mess up the batch, and really you got to be careful. He's just helping the kids out. My, you know who you know who knows about making meth? <laughs> right. Mike, science Mike. He's got to. He knows everything about everything. Of course he knows how to make math. chemistry. (laughs) I'm not touching that. (laughs) It's too volatile. There's several stages in the production process where you're basically making a bomb. Really? Yeah, volatile chemistry. I thought you were going to say that talking about it was too volatile. You're talking about the actual process. No, I'll talk about anything. I mean, literally manufacturing meth is very dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) What drug is it? Let's go to the next one. All right, kids. Well, that'll do it for... In case you missed it. All right, well, uh, let's move on to Slices. Okay, stay wow. tuned. Up next, Slices. Suicide Squad soundtrack, oh, which really? is apparently better than the movie because the album is good and I've heard the movie's not. Oh. 
So there you go. All right. So 20 Minute Pilots made an appearance on their own podcast. Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you heard Kungs and Cooking on Three Burners. That's the name of the group. Kungs and Cooking on Three Burners. The song was This Girl. All right. It's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right. This is a scandal that no one's talking about, and it's infuriating to me. <laughs> like, I'm not a, I, I don't get into politics on the show. You guys know that. I'm mm. not a big, like, you know, p- political pundit. But the fact that everyone is ignoring this scandal has enraged me. <laughs> Ever since I can remember, I have been very, very anti flossing. I, it's painful. Yes. It, it oh, hurts. I know what you're talking about. It never feels, it doesn't matter. And here's the other thing I hate about flossing. The shame element. <laughs> I, you go to the dentist and they look at you. And he, I could have flossed right beforehand. And he, you know, he, he's in there and he goes, and he looks at you and he goes, yeah, you haven't been flossing every day, have you? Like, I kind of noticed you could pick up the flossing. I, everything about it, the, the psychological torment, right. the physical torment, it's an unpleasant thing. Right. And I've always questioned, is it even necessary? Right. Turns out, Big floss in the federal government have been feeding us nothing but a pack of lies for the last 35 years. Big floss. Wow. Yeah, you heard me. You heard me. So here's, here's this, is, this is a true, very weird story. So uh, flossing has been part of the federal government's, basically like their health recommendations since the late 70s. Like they've issued, uh, they issued like dietary advice and, and different uh, things to keep the public healthy. And flossing regularly has something that they've been recommending for, for decades now. And, uh, you know, all these dental organizations and the makers of floss yeah. have been trumpeting <laughs> the, the benefits of flossing regularly. So some enterprising journalist at the Associated Press who honestly deserves a Pulitzer but won't get one because other scandals are, quote, (laughs) bigger than this, (laughs) sent a Freedom of Information Act request to the government last year saying, okay, you've been been torturing kids in this country for decades telling them to stick string between their teeth and scratch their own gums. Let's see the evidence. Like, you're required for each health recommendation they make. They have to have evidence to show that they're just not shooting from the hip here. They're the federal government. They have the resources to have evidence uh, uh, for health recommendations. So uh, months pass, and the government doesn't get back with the Freedom of Information Act request. That's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. But in the time that they did it, uh, you know, the AP hadn't heard anything back, but the government released its updated dietary and nutritional standards. Uh, and some of the longstanding uh, health suggestions they've been making. And without making any sort of announcement, the same people at the AP saw flossing was no longer in there. (laughs) But you know who paid for that announcement, though? It was the popcorn kernel lobby, and it was the (laughs) apple peel (laughs) lobby. Big apple peel was behind this. Big apple peel and big popcorn (laughs) kernel. Big mouthwash. (laughs) Yeah. So so the the AP being, like I said, this needs to be like the next big... Big water pick. Big big water pick is uh, behind this. Big water pick is in bed with the AP, is what I'm saying. Uh, So the the AP... Jesse has a wall in his room of a bunch of strings, like right. connecting all, all the, yeah, connecting oh, all these things. Floss. Mitch Hurwitz <laughs> is like in his house right now, mapping this whole 
stinking business yeah. out. Yeah, forget math and Breaking Bad. Floor. Yeah, it's about big water pick and big floss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm worried about Jesse right now because he's bringing this slice to us. Like, there's going to be a knock on his door, and somebody from the <laughs> from the little piece of roast beef foundation is going to be on that, at his front door. Yeah, it, it is like flash forward. They take me away to, to a that. van, and I wake up and I'm like strapped to a dental chair. Yeah, right. Big <laughs> so celery you're sure strand. you're against flossing. Big celery uh, strand is uh, completely true story. Like. Three months ago, I go to the dentist for the first time in 17 years. Mike. Wow. 17 years I hadn't been to the dentist. My wife's like, you have to go to the dentist. And so I go to the dentist and the, the dental hygienist is cleaning my teeth. And she's like, How, you know, your teeth look great. What has it been a year? And I said, 17 years. And she said, wow, your teeth look great. You must have incredibly good flossing habits. And I looked her right in the eye and I said, I have never flossed. Never. Wow. See, Never. Mike, I hope you ran out of there because you are, I got, I got news flash for you. You are moments man. away from being gassed, yeah. my friend. Yeah, hey, I did, this, I did the same thing. I had gone a very long time. We provide dental insurance for our team and it took me about 15 years to actually go and I had the same experience where they're like, your, your teeth are in great shape. And I, same thing, I never flossed. But is that jeans? Just or, brush your teeth. You brush your teeth regularly and yeah. But, but isn't that jeans though? Like aren't, aren't, think, aren't you and Mike just lucky? I don't know. There is a genetic I don't, well, well, here, to here's health, what sure. here's what the government ended up. They ended up conceding to the AP that the effectiveness of floss has never been researched as required. So they had to pull it. So then the AP started doing its own research. They looked at the research that has been done by companies like funded by companies like Johnson and Johnson, oh. who happened to make floss, what? found huge holes in them. AP did their own research and found that any evidence for flossing is weak and very unreliable. It's very low quality and, and carries a moderate to large potential for bias. Then they found significant risk associated with floss. In addition to like damaging your gums or dental work, uh, floss can actually dislodge bad bacteria, invade the bloodstream, and cause dangerous infections, especially for people with weakened immune systems. Wake up, sheeple. Wake up. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is unbelievable. And, and, you know, they want to sit here and talk about email servers. They want to talk about something Trump said. Yeah. We have the scandal of a lifetime sitting in front uh, of us. Right. But, you know, everything yeah. else is a charade. But those candidates are puppets for, for trying to hide what's really going on, which is tricking us into paying a $1.30 for floss every other month. I see your lies. All of a sudden, it's like Savage Nation here. Keep going. I, uh, I, uh, I, I was listening. I, I came home as I as I usually do. Come home and I'll say, Alexa, tell me the news. And Alexa will read me my NPR and you know tell me the news and play stuff. And then one of the oh, things that it's comes kind of up, the saddest thing I've ever heard, <laughs> but it's okay. It's a way as a way as I'm like uh, going through the mail and yeah, stuff. I'm just it's hearing the, the headlines. I know. And then there's a there's the discovery <laughs> news, and they right. usually do science and different things. And the one last week was somebody sent in a question about hygiene. How often should we shower? And they oh. and they brought a scientist on and said actually the idea of the perfumed you know body that it does as a modern convention obviously you know soap didn't exist 150 years ago and uh, and so how long until I'll smell bad that was really the question yeah. and they said basically what your body chemistry will do is uh, it'll take it a few days and you will have bo. Uh, but if you kind of push through, your body chemistry will recalibrate. And humans didn't stink forever and ever and ever. But you basically have to get off of the uh, soap and, and shampoo thing chemically. And then your body will kind of recalibrate to its own natural 
rhythm and you will smell fine um, if you go long enough without bathing yourself. And I'd say it's the same thing with probably the dental hygiene industry. Now, Mike is going to have a more definitive answer and he'll he'll end this. But I want to say, do you actually (laughs) stop smelling bad or do people, would we all just kind of get used used to to that's the way humans smell and our conditioning changes? Uh, They seem to imply that it would be that your body can kind of regulate itself. Scientific Michael, that's your fancy name. Go for it. Let's hear it. There's truth to both of those narratives. Mm. Like I saw, I've seen this research and personally I've been like, oh, this is really a helpful thing. I should shower less often. (laughs) And about uh, three hours after I've missed my scheduled shower, I do a a pit sniff and jump in the shower out of conditioning. Like I have to fix this. I can't stand feeling dirty. But it is true what's happening because we bathe so often. And this is only, you know, uh, a generation and a half to two generation old behavior. Um, Our body is desperately trying to replenish the oils and other uh, substances on our skin that keeps us healthy, which accelerates that BO smell, right? So we have this squeaky clean body that does have some uh, hygienic benefit, especially in controlling uh, pathogen spread, especially when we wash our hands. But by washing our whole body so thoroughly, including our scalp, our body compensates by producing a lot of oil which causes a rapid bloom in bacterial growth and this very pungent BO smell. So what would happen is you would recalibrate and have a much less intense BO smell as your body came to a more natural uh, rhythm of oil production. And therefore, your biodome, your, your flora and fauna on your skin kind of stabilized. Now, you could still use products like deodorant to create those smells we've come to associate with cleanliness and being pleasant in theory that's the right way to maintain a human body in practice i cannot skip a shower and i don't understand how anyone could well i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say this i trust no hygiene (laughs) advice anymore and i have abandoned the whole concept of personal hygiene I, I, my fingernails right now are getting Guinness length, okay? <laughs> like, I just, I don't trust the people telling me to clip them. All right, well, moving on to slices. I did allude to in the first segment that when we got to uh, Science Mike in slices, I would do some table topics and I got some questions for him, kind of yeah. speed round. Right. So I've got five selected, and here we go. This is very unusual. So Mike is answering. We yeah, need to but this sh- is just, our mouth. This is just for uh, our guest, Science Mike. Here we right. go. First question, a randomly selected out of table topics. Uh, what thoughts keep you from getting to sleep at night? Ooh, Mike. None. <laughs> I, I have a system of uh, sleep hygiene and biofeedback, and I usually fall asleep in less than a minute. So, so wow. you don't sit there and ponder the cosmos or cosmetology at all. You just fall asleep. No, I've had a condition system that I've developed for more than a decade uh, that trains my body to reduce the amount of um, you know, cognitive activity as I get closer to bed. And when I lie down, I intentionally focus on my breath for a few moments and fall asleep. What do you do with your crippling anxiety that causes you to stay up and watch Fallon? Or play Candy Crush <laughs> until three in the morning. Yeah, never. I try, I, I try to process or it during different hours. research conspiracies all night. <laughs> what you said you try to process? I try to process it in, in, a, in a structured part of my day. I have times where I ponder things I worry about and try to come to some state of peace through meditation. Interesting. What kind of I'm animal? a weird dude. So what I do, what, by doing that, I wake up with my mind racing. So as soon as I wake up, it's a rush to get to the computer or get to a notepad and start writing out this this primed creativity that's come from a good sleep cycle. Huh. Wow, Mike. How long do you sleep at night? Uh, ideally between eight and ten hours. No! Wow. That is incredible. <laughs> sometimes heavy travel schedule or during the summer when the kids are home that might 
go as low as six and a half to seven, but I generally target eight, eight and a half hours a night. And if I'm in a state where I'm trying to prime a lot of creativity, I'll push that to 10. If I slept eight hours a night, I would show up for work at noon every day. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I'm lucky to maybe get half of that. Well, we have two natural sort of circadian rhythm temperaments. You have uh, night owls and, and larks, morning people, and I'm much more biased toward the lark side. So once the sun goes down, I start getting super sleepy anyway. And once sunlight starts coming in the bedroom window, I can't continue sleeping. So I've just learned to honor that rhythm. I think for people who have more of a nighttime bias, it is actually healthier to respect that as long as you're not extending that bias by doing the sorts of things that throw off your circadian rhythms with uh, lots of television watching, watching or other uh, luminescent sources. <laughs> Crying. Crying. And that's uh, the thing. I just need to clear my head a little because Dana woke up the other night. I'm like looking under coffee tables and stuff. She said, what, what are you doing? I said, Dana, I think our house has been bugged. <laughs> I think floss. I think they do not trust the phones. We need to leave right now. Big floss is on to us. Uh, <laughs> next question. What event in the past, present, or future would you like to witness in person? The past, present, or future? Yeah. In the same Big Bang. I, you couldn't witness the Big Bang. Um, oh, dang, unless you were God. That's true, but I'm not, so that I'd just be annihilated by radiation. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best person to argue with. So what event, <laughs> past, present, or future, would you like to be there to witness? Humans setting foot on Mars. Ooh. So are you, you one think, of the humans in this scenario, you or are you just, uh, you know, you see a feed of it? If I had a chance, I'd go. I, I, to my wife's dismay, I'd take 50-50 odds on making it to Mars, and I would do it. Wow. Well, okay, here's, uh, a, here's a question for you. They, they have, like, the, that there's, like, an upstart that I don't... There's been debate about how seriously, but just hypothetically here. They want to send people uh, to Mars, but with the, with the knowledge that it's a one-way trip. Like, there's no way to get them back. But they would be in communication theoretically, with people back on Earth for the rest of their lives, like sending back information and research that they're conducting. Because they would set up a sort of biodome society Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, they they would send up like the the supplies needed to to live there and report back, but with the knowledge there's no way to get them back home. Would you consider that? I would. I couldn't because I couldn't subject my wife and children to that degree of psychological trauma. Yeah. Uh, But if if my wife and children were okay with it, then I would totally go. I wouldn't even oh, have to consider man, that. That's yeah. not, that, 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 that like freaked me out that so many people applied for that. Like hundreds of thousands yeah, of people wanted to do it. Yeah, a quarter million people within the first week. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next question. Would you rather be the best player on the worst team or the worst player on the best team? Like a sports team? Yes. I mean, I don't really play sports, so let me imagine like I'm not terribly competitive. I would... Uh, I'd want to be the best player on the worst team, but uh, only hopefully that I could help them reach a higher station than they would have otherwise mm-hmm. and maybe help them improve their skills. So then, therefore, they're no longer the worst team. Hello. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so it's, 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 a, it's a paradox. There. In the world of podcasting, I feel like I'm the worst player on the best team. I like my role. <laughs> I enjoy being I, here. I approach everything, <laughs> even no matter how far detached from reality as it is, that I'm by far the best player. That's like if I'm playing basketball, if it's coming to me, I'm shooting. It doesn't matter how, if I'm guarded. It doesn't matter where I am. And I just approach life like that. Like it, It's probably far from reality in 99.9% of scenarios, but I'm just going to carry myself like I'm Jordan out there. <laughs> You, you miss 100% oh, of the man. shots you don't take. And you know how many guys, I don't take zero yeah. every time it comes my way. Firing it up. Jesse is the cockiest player on a team that he doesn't believe exists. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? 
Oh, Mike. Craziest thing you've ever done? I'm pretty risk averse. Um, so I'm going to go with I quit my day job to be a podcaster. You quit your day job to be a podcaster? Yeah, that was pretty crazy. That would have been a weird... It's one thing to think and dream about it. It's another thing to walk into work, right? And give a letter to your boss that's like, oh, I'm done. Was that it's a like, weird... I, I, no thank you for the stable salary, health insurance, and benefits. I'm just going to go sit at my house. Yeah. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's a real weird dynamic. I'm going to go ahead and record my voice on an essentially free and untrackable medium to just <laughs> see if I can support a family. So, yeah. good luck. Yeah, I, think, I think by the numbers, that's the craziest. It didn't feel the craziest. Right. But I think, I think statistically, it was by far the craziest. Uh, final question. Do you believe in aliens? Oh, I, 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 Mike, I think we, you and I have talked about this for an article yes, one time. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I, I wouldn't, that's a, it's a weird phrasing to say I believe in. Uh, I would say that I think the existence of life forms on planets other than Terra or the Earth <laughs> is extraordinarily likely to a degree that borders on certainty. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's not like, do you worship other aliens? It's, it's like you just... Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. to be safe, I do, because they're probably <laughs> there. But, uh, <laughs> that's a different question. I mean, it's like Big Floss. I mean, you just... Yeah. You just that's the thing. I mean, if they're out there, they're going to be want to be worshipped like deity. So I've centered much of my life around that. <laughs> if the Transformers uh, but, taught him yeah. anything. If he learned that the AllSpark... Yeah. You know, I Maybe gotta, aliens will save us from Big Floss. <laughs> this is a good. Yeah, they've probably known all along. They've probably the signs have been out there. We're just now opening up our. Someone at the AP. That's the thing. Someone at the AP has friends on the other side, and I think like, has let them know the, the <laughs> lie that we've all been subjected to all these years. Animals don't floss or brush their teeth, and they all have teeth. Yeah, but they all eat like vegetables and and yeah. good food and 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 raw meat. Like, you're saying they don't have like processed, sugary things like we do, which would right. Rot and, and honestly, for many animals in the animal kingdom, uh, tooth loss related to aging is usually one of the uh, significant factors that contributes to their death. So, brushing your teeth, I think we can agree, is like a an extraordinarily good behavior that's beneficial. It's just flossing. That's just a big bag of lies. But it's, it's <laughs> yeah. keeping our old people alive longer. This is what I'm saying. That's the I'm problem. Like, maybe, maybe around 70-ish, it's time for me to just walk slowly into the woods. You know what I'm saying? I'll stop <laughs> flossing. I was going to say, you're sounding real rational right now. <laughs> big floss has got to you, man. They've got to you. You're a slave. Wake up. <laughs> All right, we'll move the slices along. What do you have, Eddie? Uh, upon hearing this show the olympics has started and i'm going to only talk about the olympics for my slices until the olympics are over because the olympics despite what jesse carey thinks is by far the greatest sporting event known to man it is certainly the greatest sporting event uh the greatest corporate sporting How? Okay. event all right turn him the down the greatest the greatest corrupt <laughs> corporate event known to man i realize that it destroys cities and i realize that it's complete all, countries economies yeah are decimated I, by and I'm, corporate and, greed really and despite that and despite the horse tranquilizers that are just pulsing through the athletes the russian athletes right um <laughs> it's still the best because it is country versus country does everyone here agree with yeah, me yeah everything that's country versus country works out great all the time <laughs> human yeah, some, human history is taught us anything eddie you're really being hurtful do you uh, we know jesse doesn't like the olympics mike i assume you love them and understand the beauty of them i don't like sports but some sociologists tell us that the channeling of nationalism into sporting events has contributed to a global decrease in 
interstate violence and warfare. And so as a proxy to express national tribalism, the Olympics seems to be remarkably healthy for society, despite mm. its significant shortcomings. Which is essentially what I just said. So, it's the same thing, yeah. word for word. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost exactly... My, my problem, Eddie, my problem isn't conceptually with the Olympics. Yeah. It's the activities themselves are super boring and old and lame. No, like we've got no. cooler so, sports. So the idea of throwing, right, the idea of throwing a, a, a round weight no. into a field does not compel you, yeah. Jesse. Thro- throwing ball in fe- throwing heavy ball in field is literally like I'm not going to spend an hour watching this, no. but that's a huge part of the game. No, the, they're the most practical sports because as humans, if there's a group of people that I'm going to need to go and fight for land with, right, and right. to fight other people with, I want the guy who has trained since he was seven. To throw a spear a hundred yards. To spin in a little circle. Yeah, and, and I'll say this, ball. Eddie. If I'm on the other side of that and I have to go fight for, uh, you know, my life, I agree. I want to go fight the guy who spent his entire life learning to throw a ball real far because I would just <laughs> easily move out of the way because that thing weighs like 35 pounds but, and I can see it coming from a mile away because that's where he's throwing it from. But each Olympic sport. <laughs> like, the most in, like your argument is just a fee. Like, okay, uh, uh, the, the one thing I have to worry about is my enemy pole vaulting over something. I'll just <laughs> I'll just make the moat a little longer. I'm not that concerned. Listen. Every Olympic sport is highlighting. Now, Winter Olympics is not a part of this. Okay. Winter Olympics. Oh, that's a shame because I love curling. Of course you do. It's <laughs> He's talking about going to the gym and lifting weights for his bicep. Right. That's, that's what right. he's talking I'm about. I'm saying every summer Olympic sport is taking a piece of the, the human ability yeah. and seeing what it can do at its fullest. So how fast can you run? How fast can you swim? How, how far, far can, can you, you throw, throw a, a thing? Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's why the Olympics is beautiful because it's primal, right? It's not like battle bots where... Well, all- how do you explain the dance, uh, the floor routine on the gymnastics competition? Yeah, that, where that, I'm going it, around with a Ribbon. Have you ever seen me dance? That's beauty. Okay. It's poetry, Just right? Okay. What is the best it can so possibly strength, be? speed, beauty. Rhythmic dancing. I, yeah. Everything I think of when I think of Agility. primal urges. Okay. Right. <laughs> what about the canoe slalom? Exactly. You're proving the point, <laughs> Mike, because if I'm in a boat right. and I got to get from A, a to, to Z and yeah, I'm Z. out running Forget an animal, yeah. I got... I've got to get in a boat and I got to find a captain. Now, who am I going to find? Am I going to find uh, whatever a quarterback for the NFL no, is? No. No. <laughs> me, myself, and I. I'm going to get in a boat with that guy because he can get me from A to Z. Yeah. He's but the thing is, I'm just not going to worry about it because no scenario is going to present itself where I have to be on a boat with a guy who can paddle a boat fast. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> the only one, the only game I watch is basketball, and that's because America has like 10 superstars <laughs> and it's a sweet dunk fest the whole time. <laughs> The only thing worth watching. And no disrespect to Nigeria, who we just played, and I watched the game the other night that we blew out like 47 to 120. It was like a video game out there. Alley-oop after alley-oop, and it was sweet. I agree. I'll watch that because it's cool. Oh, they've already started basketball? Oh, they were doing the warm-up games? Yeah. Oh, okay. They've yeah. already started soccer, though, because it, oh, it takes more time than the Olympics right, allows. Right. So, gotcha. yeah, obviously, everybody's watching soccer tonight. We're gotcha. going to all be watching that. We'll text about it. Um, well, on a very serious note, of all the things that you don't like about the Olympics, Jesse, and all the things that obviously Mike and I, because we are of similar intellect uh, and <laughs> similar character, understand about the Olympics, yeah. there is one piece of the Olympics that is going to be incredibly cool that we should all be watching for. For the first time in modern Olympic history, yeah. there is going to be an all-refugee team. So people Whoa. with no 
uh, with, that have been in refugee situations from Ethiopia to Syria, they have been recognized by the, the IOC, International Olympic Committee, as their own team. And so they will walk out. I no think national- it's IOC uh, Inc. I- IOC Inc. It's just a big corporation. <laughs> yeah. who, it's, you know who they're in bed with. Big Floss is in on this. I'm with you. <laughs> so uh, I would encourage you, and I will post this on Twitter or whatever, but to read the individual bios of every single person that's, that's really going to cool. be, it's unbelievable. That is like, really cool. Like it's, it's the we're the stories of these people and what they have had to live through and overcome just to get to the Olympics is amazing. But they are also incredibly talented athletes that because there's no national association with them anymore, they were just sort of lost. And so they went through different refugee camps and out of these refugee camps, they plucked out incredible athletes and put them together into a refugee. But I think it's just uh, an interesting commentary on what what is a country? What is place? What will it continue to mm. develop to be? Because it's such a political moment when each country files out. Um, so now there will be a group of refugees, and they will walk through. Traditionally, the host city is the very last city, and they have a huge team. And so Brazil is going to have just a massive group. I think it's like 208 athletes. But right before them, uh, they put the refugees. So right in prime time. Um, so that will be really interesting to watch, even if you have a dark heart like Jesse Carey. <laughs> so are they from countries all of, like from different, you know, areas that have experienced instability and poverty and violence like all over the world? That's right. So a few of them, there's like two Syrian swimmers. Um, there's two folks that do judo from the Democratic Republic of Congo. There's a marathoner from Ethiopia uh, and five middle distance runners from South Sudan. So it really is just a, I, I saw a picture of the whole group and it really does, it, it just is a beautiful picture of the planet, right? All together, working together as these displaced refugees. And the stories of how they were able to be spotted within these refugee camps or wherever they're living is incredible. And the IOC actually did some work to track down folks who, because of the instability in their own country, had sort of just been lost to the wind, but had some sort of um, incredible histories. So I read all of the pot bios of all these people and it was like, it's going yeah. to be one of those things where you're going to cheer for them no matter, even if they're playing for your own country, you're always going to be, which is awesome. You yeah. know, like yeah. The, yeah. that's the one scenario where I'm not going to be reading for rooting for team USA. If they're playing the, the, you know, athletes that were yeah. refugees. The a study is- came out last week that said it's more psychologically gratifying to root for someone who comes in third than someone who comes in first. Why? Why? The uh, the, the universal appeal of the under, underdog narrative. So it's if the best person comes forward and wins first place, that's just an expected outcome. But uh, someone who has to really struggle for even a smaller amount of accomplishment uh create some greater sense of gratification to people that support them. It's why in the 90s, I never liked the Chicago Bulls or Michael Jordan. I was a Charles Barkley guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always, I love Charles Barkley. I had all his shirts and I refused to acknowledge Michael Jordan. It's the classic Seinfeld bit, though, where he says, like, the difference, the, the worst metal is silver because they were, you know, an, an eyelash away from yeah. gold. Yeah. Bronze is actually the best because if you had just run just a billionth of a second slower... No one will remember you. Right. But you got you you got one of the it. medals. All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Up next, uh, we hang out with Shauna Nequist.
and the Lights. It's Friends featuring Bon Iver. Uh, Kanye calls this his favorite song of all time. Uh, he just happens to appear in the music video. Oh, right, of course. Because like that, that auto stuff that Kanye does, uh, it's all, that's Auto-tune. Francis. Yeah. Oh. But it's like this weird process that Bon Iver and Francis do, and right. then Kanye copped, right, and right. he's in the studio with them and all that stuff, and now it's his uh, favorite song, his favorite artist. There you go. Well, this week's feature interview is brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, or a blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Building a site with Squarespace is easy. You can get a free custom domain if you sign up for a year. They have beautiful templates. Uh, if you uh, remember a month ago, we did Jesse Carey's Trapped in the Cage. I built trappedinthecage.com in like an hour using Squarespace, and it's one of the most beautiful things relevant media groups really ever done. Oh, so. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> bummer for the designers. I know. Right? <laughs> they were looking at it, and they're like, wait, you did this without us? And I was like, yeah, yeah look, it's responsive too. Yeah. And they're like, oh. Oh, I see. <laughs> our developer and our lead designer were just like, you know, good for you. Uh, Squarespace also has seamless commerce tools. So you can, you know, if you're a local shop or if you're a national brand or if you're a, Selling your own music. a maker or doing your own music, um, it, Squarespace is trusted by hundreds of thousands of savvy shop owners around the world. It includes all the tools you need to track inventory, process orders, and even send custom emails in one intuitive interface. Squarespace commerce allows you to understand every aspect of your business. They also have great customer support and it's a pleasure working with them. And they have a new templates thing. So like it used to be just like, all right, here's a blank page. And then you kind of start to fill it in and they make it look good. But now they have like, you can do the blank page or it's like, all right, here's 10 versions of like what you're probably thinking about for how to do a blog. And then you just click that. And it's like, as if the easiest thing didn't get easier. It got easier. It just got easier. They pushed that update live while I was in the middle of working on a Squarespace website. Oh, so like it literally appeared while I was working like magic because I was like, wow. oh, I don't want to deal with a blank page. And then as I hit new page, it literally showed the templates and I was so happy. Yeah, it's like you got to restart your router when like you're on with the Internet company. They're able to just do it as you're working. You can start That's your, magic. You can start your free trial today at squarespace.com <laughs> and enter code uh, enter offer code relevant to get 10% off your first purchase. So you can try it for free, but if you decide to sign up for your use offer code relevant to get 10% off your first purchase. Shauna Nequist is an author and speaker uh, who also for a couple of years was a cast member here on this show. Uh, she's known for relatable and spiritually uplifting stories about life, our relationship with God and food. Her new book is called Present Over Perfect. It comes out on Tuesday, August 9th. uh, And in it, she looks at how to leave behind the frantic for a simpler, more soulful way of living. I didn't like that you past tensed that she was on the show. Like, she's still on the show. In our hearts. If, but if she ever wants to call in during the show, she's just on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. She's, she's like an editor she at been large. Like banished. Editor at large on yeah. a magazine. Yeah. If you ever look at the masthead, it's the guy who was a senior editor, but then kind of outgrew it. Now he right. has book deals and speaking gigs, mm-hmm. but he's still connected. So if, if, if he ever wants to like drop in a cover story, he can do it. Okay. Yeah. Good. So she's our podcaster at large. Yeah, that is good. That works for me. Yeah. Jesse and I were in uh, Chicago this weekend for Lollapalooza and we got to have lunch with Shauna. Now, if you remember a couple years ago, we recorded a podcast at the lunch that she took us to. Mm-hmm. It was actually really fun and fascinating and Loved it. she ordered and a fantastic and, lunch because she picked it. Yeah. And she it knows great. every great restaurant in Chicago. Where'd you go? 
Uh, this year, she said, why don't we do burgers? And I was like, absolutely. Great. So, of course, we go to the best burger in Chicago. Uh, Jesse and I and our friend Andy Barron, photographer oh. who was there at Lollapalooza with Andy, Chris Stapleton. Andy talk. Uh, he joined us. And uh, Shauna took us to Oshaval, uh, which is by Girl on the Goat and Soho House and all that Ooh. stuff. Girl um, on the Goat, we went to when we were yeah, there. Holy one, of the, one of the best restaurants in Chicago. You, you can't get in. They got known for their hamburgers, of all things. Mm. And so they opened a takeout thing um, uh, in Bucktown, and we went there. It's called Small Cheval. And uh, it's just literally a takeout place of burgers and fries, but the fr- it's all gourmet. So the fries are like double fried and duck fat, and the burgers are, you know, yeah. incredible in every way. Mm-hmm. And farm table it was great. We sat on a picnic table and ate lunch with Shauna and caught up. Bless her. Uh, afterwards, we walked down the block, got some coffees, and sat in a park. Love her. And uh, talked to her about the new book. I read it on the uh, uh, flight up. Uh, yeah, I finished book. reading it, and I it it wrecked me. I thought it'd be a lot of like practical like oh okay here's tangible mm, things no. you can do uh, about two-thirds of the way through the book she gets into identity issues mm-hmm. and some deeper stuff yeah it's it, it is deeply moving this book this is i it's hard to say it's somebody's best book because each book is so personal yeah. and each one of her books is so unique it's a time capsule for who she was at that moment that's and, right this but, is but, this is special but but one thing we you know we we talked to her about that it was so cool is like this book really presents like a felt need because yes. we live in an era where people are taught to value optimizing their time and staying busy and networking and all of these things to propel their career aspirations forward. And this book presents sort of a, a healthy counter narrative to that. Yeah. Her her chapter on flossing was eye-opening. You know what I thought? The chapter <laughs> on how to wind down, concentrate on your breathing and fall asleep in under a minute was really helpful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing about Shauna that I, I get so excited about this book is I don't know anyone who genuinely embodies the things they write about as well as she does. Uh, as I've gotten to know Shauna That's a little right. bit, I have been really deeply resentful of how good a person she is. She really is. <laughs> and how terrible <laughs> I feel in contrast because of the stuff she writes about, about seeking presence, uh, you know, about being a gracious host, about being there for other people. She actually lives it and it creates such a credibility in the work that she produces. I would like to second that because I was always a little nervous about meeting her in person when she started on the show because I'm like... Because we've known too many pastors who are one way on stage and a totally different person behind the scenes. Yeah, you know that people... I mean, everybody to a sense has an on version and a sort of off version. Yeah. And and I understand that. But like uh, you spend time with Shauna Mm -hmm. and she's like off, off, like off the record. She's exactly. She's Shauna. She is Shauna and that is not a perfect person and she doesn't portray herself as a perfect person. It's a really honest look at what it means to live. And I was surprised at some of the stuff she just casually mentioned in the book. And then it wasn't like, you know, these big, like, you know, finally I can tell right. what this horrible thing was in my past. No, it's just like the reality of life yes. and food and drink and, and, yeah. and stress and, and, and how you spend your time and who you prioritize and all that stuff. She was just very vulnerable about things that I was just like, wow, well, she went there. So proud of Sean, aren't we? Amazing. It's really something. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you're about to hear a conversation with her. We talk about the book and, uh, the amazing burgers we just had and, and she's on a speaking tour. We're going to go. She is on a speaking yeah. tour. She and a, a handful of other amazing speakers are starting the Belong Tour. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's kicking off in August, goes through October. We're going. We're going to go October 14th. It's we're, here in Central Florida. I'm in. And uh, we're going to be down there. 
It's gonna be fun, and we'll do we'll do a podcast something there. We'll we'll catch up with her. Yeah, chat with Shauna and other folks. It's gonna be fun. It will be fun. So the Belong Tour, you can go, you They're can probably, Google that Belong Tour and see where it's coming. It's going to twelve cities around the country. So. They probably want us to do a couple minutes up there. Yeah, a little, a little. Uh, I think it's time to expose the truth, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I hear you. Yeah. Because there's a lot. Of, there's gonna be a lot of parents in the room. Good platform. And so it's like you know what. We could change the next generation if we could set these parents straight and they don't pass on false information to the next generation. Because you know how we could the, change the course of history if we got on stage at the Blanc tour for two minutes. And half of the people in that room have those little, uh, like, uh, portable floss things with mm-hmm. just yep. a little teeny piece of floss. <laughs> Let's throw them all out. Yeah. Let's do just, yeah. just exactly, like because they're passing along misinformation and perpetuating a conspiracy to another generation. You're going to do oh, break not the cycle now. That That's what Sean's book is really about, is about breaking the cycle now. We're going to have a Dead Poet Society kind of moment where we just rip it out, just throw Symbolic. it away. Yeah. Oh, captain, you just captain. launch a social media advocacy campaign, like hashtag no big floss of people <laughs> binding, throwing away their floss. Yeah, and, and you just know what? change society. You know, how you get you know it going. change your profile pic to be a picture of you not flossing. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> no bloody big gums. Floss. You just it's a big bloody gum real tight yeah, real tightly it. cropped i'm gonna be yeah when when i next time there's like a big i wish that these conventions hadn't already happened yeah mm-hmm. because out right out there with like the people with signs about gmos and nuclear power i would have been right outside the rnc and the dnc with my picture of bloody gums and say you know i don't want a politician in the pocket of big floss and both of these puppets are it's a charade and, wake up and wake my up gums, there's a shadow my government my business being controlled by the floss lobby yeah. right yeah. and mike i got it i got I don't need the government in my mouth no Listen, I don't. It, you know what my history book tells me That's my history one. book tells me that george washington had wooden teeth why do you think he had he didn't floss because he wasn't in the pocket of these crooks mm-hmm. this is what i'm saying hey, hey jesse we could take it to the streets outside the belong tour go just go out the arena and just i, do, a, I, I think sean would line. appreciate that and mike, because ultimately our goals are the same which is to spread truth and, you know, a, a real life changing and message. Now, whether that is cycles. about slowing down and realizing God's best for your life, or it's realizing uh, the, the lies that the, big false right. is perpetuating through the government that they control <laughs> and probably the world governments they control. The sidewalk chant, yes. be your own boss. Never ever floss. Yes, Mike. You're in. You're in. Though I, I, I feel like they, they've been listening to this conversation, and now I feel that you may be in danger. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gum disease is genetic. I don't know the rest of the the chant, but you can figure out the second half, Mike. Motion <laughs> is not just kinetic. Right. It doesn't make sense, but that's what I'm saying. We're just out there raising awareness. Just say Mike, with conviction. Mike, you've always been so supportive of everything we've done on the show, of IJM and things, and I would hope that we have your support for No Big Floss. Which You know how we get this going on Twitter is we uh, hit up Chris Pratt. He has a tendency to uh, retweet. I so. don't think you can make that joke, but also I agree. He would be very, very sweet about that. How then shall we floss, yes. Chris Pratt? God, we got to no. move on. We, we spoke to Shauna about balancing work and life and the importance of why, slowing down and why efficiency is overrated. That's the moment why Shauna actually is not on the show right now. <laughs> she just can't associate her brand with that kind of filth. Yeah, I've, I've threatened every one of her speaking engagements with as a, as a floss truther. I'm, I, I've long been a floss truther. Floss a truther. Oh, where do you buy your floss? Right, do you here's, actually- here's me, Jesse, Andy Barron, uh, with Sean and Equist in a park next to a coffee shop by the L uh, in the 6th uh, uh, in Chicago, Illinois. Here you go. 
Okay, so we're we're let's set the stage. We're here at outdoors in Chicago yeah. in Bucktown. We uh, just had an incredible lunch. We just uh, had some coffee. Uh, here with Sean and Nyquist. Jesse's here with me. Yep. And uh, and Andy Barron strolled in. I did stroll in, yes. Uh, I heard there were burgers happening. And well, so. you're on the road with Chris Stapleton from Lollapalooza. Yep. He just got some excellent service at the coffee <laughs> shop. He asked yeah. a couple follow-up a- questions, and it signaled like... You are my people, and now he has like a new coffee best friend. He got the, the best I, part is that the barista who I was asking the questions to got scolded because he was not licensed to properly make the drink that I had. Which was a coffee. He was, <laughs> he was, it was weird. Licensed for certain countries, but not for the country oh, you recommend. Okay, so this is the uh, the L that you're hearing. Yeah, this is like a for real Chicago thing that's happening. This is the L going right by us. We're in Bucktown, so we're we're right where the L um, intersects the 606, like the little walking path. It's it's, it's pretty like, cute. Uh, New York City's High Line. Yep, yep. really great area. It's uh, very very yuppie, very yuppie cool. Uh-huh. Very yuppie cool. Uh-huh. It's very nice. Um, uh, we're here just in an outdoor park, and Shauna got celebrity sighted by that's a fan. Right. Andy too. And, uh, they, they but Shauna way more than me. And the, fa- and the fan came up to Shauna and introduced himself and didn't say, hey, do you mind if I get a picture? He said, do you mind if I shoot some portraits of you? And she walked off with this fan. What, what, are you, what, what took, on earth? Hey, as, a pho- as a photographer, I respect that move. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, hey, his, his portfolio just grew just now oh because of that kind like, of I probably encounter. have like, like burger on my face. Like I was not. No, you're good. I was not photo ready in any way. <laughs> yeah, she's ready to do a podcast. Yeah. No, you look fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you look rested. It's been a Thank summer at you. the lake. It has been. You look, you look relaxed and happy. You sun-kissed cheeks. Thank you. Cheeks. <laughs> You, you look like a personification of the message of your new book. Oh, How's that? By the way, it's true. I know I camera kind of teed that up for anyone sitting here. But seriously, we were talking on the way. We were in the cab yesterday from the airport yeah. about how like needed the message of President Over Perfect yeah. So Shauna's new book uh, is coming out August 9th, and it's Present Over Perfect. And she sent us advanced copies a few yeah. weeks ago because we're in the inner circle. Yeah. And uh, how many advanced copies did you send out? I want to know how big this circle was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, to answer your question for your purposes, I like nine. Uh-huh. Nine. You guys are top nine. <laughs> we're the MySpace top eight. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. There were okay. actually ten, yeah. may, maybe ten. And so we were. Tops. I was on. I was on vacation, and then uh, and then when I got home last week, the box was sitting there, and it was, you know I was excited to read it. But we were on print deadline all week, so we finally went to the printer. Our next issue went to the printer the day before we left for Lollapalooza. So I hadn't had a chance to read it. Knew we were going to come and talk to you about it. Had to read it, right? So I was reading it uh, the night before we came, and then on the plane yesterday. And I was doing it because I wanted to be able to talk to you intelligently about your book. I was not expecting to be so wrecked by your book because I kind of knew what it was about. Totally, right? yeah. And so I, I, I was like excited to read it, but I, I didn't know that it would go to places that it. It did. wasn't like a cliffhanger. Like, what's going to happen to her? You I knew. You told. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I was so moved by it. Can Aww. you tell listeners who haven't had a chance to read it yet? It's not out yet. Um, what kind of the heart and message behind the book is? So uh, I got to a place in my life about three years ago where I realized that I had allowed um, values like efficiency, speed, achievement, uh, pushing, competing, comparing. I had allowed those to become the most important things in my life instead of things that I really believed I had valued, like 
connection, grace, laughter, spontaneity, play, presence. Um, and I, I had a couple really clear, really painful moments where I realized that my life didn't match my values anymore, that I thought I was a certain kind of person. But if you looked at my life on the outside, or frankly, if you had to spend time with me, you realized I wasn't, I wasn't living a gracious, spontaneous, warm, whimsical life. I was pushing really hard to get stuff done. And, and some of the best parts of me were sort of being, um, eclipsed by that pressure. And so I realized, um, I sent him an email to a mentor of mine and it was like the email you only send to someone who's known you for 20 years. All she did was invite me to an event and I replied with like, I want to go. I don't want to go. I, I, I want to see you. I don't want to leave my kids. I don't know what's happening. I can't feel my life. I can't put on the brakes. I feel like something's wrong with me. I feel like maybe I've lost the plot. I just maybe just email me back, right? Like that super weird email that you send only to someone who knows you really well. Or if you've had a lot of Red Bull or <laughs> right? a lot of Four Loco or a lot of for example, Fireball. Yeah. yeah. All of those. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah. If you're on just like a big Fireball all been there. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of, of email you <laughs> And so she emailed me right back and she was like, stop right now, remake your life from the inside out. And that has sort of been my, my job, like the center of my job the last three and a half years. Stop right now, remake your life from the inside out. How, how does that practically, I, I'm not to give away too much of the book because like, like I was saying, I feel like that immediately is going to connect with people. Like they feel themselves. There's either life has already gotten out of control Mm -hmm. or it's on the verge of just, I can't remember the last time I did something for the enjoyment of doing it. It's almost, you get this guilt complex. Yeah. So what does that process look like of remaking your life without giving too much of, of the overall message away? But well, what's interesting is at first I, I thought like, you know what, this is a time management problem. Like yeah. there is probably an app that everyone else has that I don't have yeah. that once I get it, this is all going to be cool again. And what I realized it was, it was so much deeper than that. This was, um, I thought it was like, yeah, time and schedules and priorities. And it was actually, this was about what I believe about God and what he feels about us. This was about, do I believe that I matter even if I don't produce? Do I believe that I'm loved even if I'm not knocking out of the park. And so, um, this was much more a deep, solitary, spiritual journey than I imagined. I thought this was like, I'm going to block out a night a week to craft. Not really. Cause I would never, but yeah. for something, <laughs> don't knock that. That's a lot of fun. And it, it's life giving for yeah, me. Yeah, it is for Cameron. Yeah. It's, my, that, my life that involved a lot with my crafting habits. I'll say that right now. Scrapbooking. <laughs> A lot of the scissors with the angled lines yeah. that, like, you get the pictures yeah. just trying yeah. to get the yeah. little triangles. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think that's what shocked me about the book. Because I thought, what, going into it, I thought the book was going to be this thing of um, less is more, you know, uh, prune back, you know, Bob Goff, quit something every Thursday, kind of practical. Yeah. And, and there are aspects of the book that actually really are practical and helpful. But I think in the second half of the book... Um, which was what I read on the plane yesterday. It got, in, it got into the identity issues and it got into the am I love? Do I have value if I don't do X, Y, Z? I mean, all of a sudden I just got blindsided by that. I'm like literally just like crying on the plane. <laughs> and uh, the Chinese lady next to me looked very concerned, but I, <laughs> you know, played it off as well as I could. I'm sure that went well. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, what, Edie, I know it's comforting when I'm on a long flight to see the person next to me weeping uncontrolled. Silently yeah. stop. Yeah, it doesn't weird me You're out like, or make me nervous at all. flight attendant, I'm going to need a switch. Yeah, as, the, as I'm trying to not then cry, it's like worse yeah. and weirder, so... Thank you for that. But I think that's what was so powerful about it. It was like a deeper thing than just 
okay, everybody, simplify, prune back. You know, it, that wasn't even I my takeaway of the book. I mean, that yeah. might be the entry point for some people, yep. but it, you got to cut so much deeper than that. As a writer, because all of your books deal with personal mm -hmm. stories and personal reflections, but because this one has to do so much with recognizing, I don't think flaws is the right word, yeah. but like wrong ways of thinking that have crept into your life and really having to kind of purge those. Was this one more difficult and emotional than other ones? Um, that's a great question. I would say the, the writing process for this one was um, different than the others in that it required... Um, I had to get away for really long chunks and get really deep into it. And that long, long chunks meaning like I would go away overnight as yeah. opposed to like writing for the two and a half hours of preschool. Yeah. For books like Bread and Wine or Savor, it was very easy to do that in short chunks to kind of dive down and then come back up. And this one was, there were at least two times when I went away uh, once to a little camp and once to a little um, bed and breakfast right on the water, both of them. And I, they both had little balconies uh, or little porches on the water. And I had to like really deep dive into these. And yeah. the interesting thing though about this one, and maybe this is just being... Um, in the nature of doing anything creative and public is you open yourself up to be misunderstood. Like you just do. You just offer up to people. You might take this one way and I'm in it the other way and I can't control how you feel about it. And so it could be that I'm just more comfortable with that. But I feel the most free about this book than any other. Like, oh, if, if you were to read every page of it and be like, I actually just didn't connect, I'd be like, cool. You must be like an actually just grounded, wonderful person who didn't need it. Yeah. Awesome for you. Yeah. This book saved my life. This book changed the course that I'm on for my life. And I don't have a ton riding on how it does for other people. Does, does that mean I feel freer with this one than I ever have? Can you point to like anything that where that and maybe it's just the overall gradual process, but with things like social media and you know this these comparison complexes mm -hmm. and just but can you point to anything that kind of set you on the path? where you had that moment of reckoning where something has to change or was it just a gradual thing of how life developed? You know, I think the moments that got me there were just, um, a friend of mine says that no one ever changes their life until the pain level gets high enough. Yeah. So it, it wasn't like um, my, my deep moral fiber. Uh, it, was, it was just desperation. I, I, I hated the person I had become. And I didn't want to be that person anymore, especially in terms of my marriage, my kids, and my closest relationships. I felt like they were getting the emotional leftovers of my out-of-control work life. And that is not fair to them. Um, and so social media, I would say, one of the things I have noticed in this journey is a move, and I don't know exactly the right way to say it, but a move from glimpses to long form. So for example, I don't spend a ton of time on social media, but I'm reading a lot of novels. Yeah. Oh, you're a big Snapchatter. <laughs> I just I put on the flower crown and the little bird face or a little dog face, whatever. I just Funny love I'm, hilarious. I'm hilarious. Um, no, I just, I, um, I would rather deep dive into a long story than flip past several split second images. Yeah. I think my life is moving more toward, like we joked about it last night, like you all were at a full on rock show as was Eddie, and I was in my pajamas with one of my kids on either side of me reading a novel. Yeah. And that really feels just right for this season. Yeah, but and Tom York was really weird know, and memorable. I know. And you're not going to remember the book I, you were reading last night. Just doesn't tour that much. <laughs> I live to make memories. 
like I, I promise I'm not going to be like in hibernation forever, and I probably will go to like a rock show again in my life. She's but, a big Third Eye Blind fan. She's just waiting. For the I just can't wait. Oh yeah. my gosh! Um, but there has been something in this season. There's been something really healing yeah. about choosing home and simplicity and quiet over travel, adventure, chaos. I, I have been a travel, adventure, chaos yeah. person all my life, and it, it feels really good to just uh, temper that a little bit right now with slow and quiet and home. Do you feel like, I mean, you start the book by saying, I'm on a journey, I'm not done, you know. I, it, it's brave of you to write this midstream, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> because, like, I mean, what do you have the fear that maybe you're going to look back in five years and have evolved even further and go, man, if only I knew then what I know now with a book like this? It's so vulnerable, you know. Well, I mean, that's why I keep writing books, right? Because like it's every once in a while I'll meet someone and they'll be like, hey, I just read Cold Tangerines and I feel like I totally know you. And I'm like, like that baby you read about is 10 years old now. And so you do, you yeah. do absolutely know me, but sort of in a, in a time capsule way. Yeah. And um, in no way am I finished with this journey and I'll probably write about it again in a couple years. And I probably will apologize for the ways that I fail along this journey. I, I would say that already. Cameron and I were, I was joking with him, like, so this book comes out in a week and a half, and I was just a nightmare today with my family. I was I was nervous and stressed, and I took it out on them, and then I had to apologize, and I would not say I was living my present over perfect best, but um, the nature of writing a book like that is people know that's where I'm headed, yeah. and people know that's what I'm aspiring to, and so I'm inviting all of us along that path, mm-hmm. not standing up as an example of nailing it. I'm right. totally not nailing it, but I'm trying really hard to get closer and closer every day, and some days I take a step backward, but this is where I'm headed. This is not where I've arrived. Who, I love one of the things you're masterful at in the book is you tell all these stories that I know and you don't say the names of the people involved in the stories. <laughs> and I'm like, I had a lot of fun, like going, oh, that's so-and-so. I, there are a few that I'm really curious. Who oh, oh. oh no, we didn't <laughs> one of my friends <laughs> but who, from Florida. Who, who along the um, journey has, has been pivotal and like kind of, I, like for me in my own progress like that weekend where we met up at Bob Goff's place which you referenced that weekend you didn't say his name but like when but Bob Goff's teachings his life his family I mean have left an imprint on me that it was like a literal BCAD moment for me mm-hmm. you know who who are those tent poles for you who are people or like what what are some of the things that have happened in these last three years that you look back and go and that moment changed everything uh, I would say Bob and Maria are a huge part of that um uh, and I would say several of the friends that I made, that we made during that experience, um, they, they caught me at such a yeah. tender, high change time that it's sort of like somebody you went to like church camp with when you were 15 and, and then like you became a Christian and now they're like your people forever and ever. Um, yeah, so true. like several of those friends, Brian, yeah. Bryson, Nicole, you, obviously, um, I remember obviously. there were, well, Cameron, there were times, remember, you know, maybe a year after um, the lodge that I, I like, I got a bunch of invitations to a bunch to speak at a bunch of things. And I'd already said I wasn't going to, mm-hmm. and I texted you and Brian and Bryson and said like, um, help me sift through this. Yeah. What are the, just like, this is really important and this matters. And maybe you're called to this. And what are the, like, be brave enough to walk away. And yeah. 
So that group of people has journeyed really well with me. But I would also say outside of that, this has been way more about long-term behind the scenes. This is about my friendship with my dad. It's about my husband. This is about my cousins. This is about the people who have known me forever. This is not about um, work colleagues who are all building big things. This is about, um, you know, a lot of my, the people I spend the most time with right now are the people I met in sixth grade and my sophomore year and we're my college roommates. And that that's really life-giving and grounding for me. And it's very important for me. Something you said in the book, it was something I also learned from, from Bob and it just like changed my perspective on relationships. Uh, what was it that Bob, it's like, it's like you're going to disappoint everybody. You even mm-hmm. say this in the book, but like the people you want to disappoint the least are the people who are going to be around your deathbed. You know, and he's like, think about that. And then you describe the concentric circles of, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, of like kind of almost like disappointment. And like the people who are on the outer circles, you got to be okay. Like, yeah. you know, you're not a quarter of my life and I'm sorry I'm going to disappoint you, but I'm going to protect these. And that, I mean, that's changed my perspective on like what to say yes to or mm-hmm. who. You only have a certain amount of time and emotional energy in a day where well, you're going to spend it. And you know, especially for those of us who are parents, um, like it's so much easier to be charming to a stranger for three minutes, right? Like some stranger comes up and wants to take a portrait of you in a park, right? Like it happens. And I would actually go back and say that for anybody who is married or is a parent, it's so much easier to be charming for three minutes to a stranger than it is to actually see your wife or your husband and their needs and their frustrations and their anxieties and dive deeply into them, even though you're fried as well. Um, it's so much easier to be charming for five minutes at a coffee shop than it is to like play that same game with your toddler again, 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 or teach them an important skill that you're just so tired and you just would rather do it for them. And so I think for me, a lot of this journey is about tying your shoes. <laughs> I don't think either of my kids know how to tie their shoes. I wish went like straight Velcro forever. <laughs> no, for them, it's probably like coding. Henry just went to coding camp. So he's, You're eight-year-old? Oh, yeah. Nine-year-old, yeah. yeah cool. li- literally, yeah, Apple camp. Cohen at six is doing the same thing. He's learning how to build a physical computer and then program the computer to do things that at six. Cool. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. We yeah. didn't even have a computer in my house. So like, right? You know, we had a word school, processor, yeah. a, yeah. a K-Pro. My, the computer I had in high school at our house, my mom uh, would not plug the phone line into it because she was afraid that hackers could come like well, the she, net she and saw come the over yeah. net. Yeah. 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 Well, she and knew. So, so she, we had to leave it. And if I had to turn it on, I had to plug it in. Yeah. And then, you know, but when I was done with the computer, I had to unplug it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> you, you, you're inviting them into your home otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Go through your files. Anyway. But I, th- I think it's, it's, it's much easier to meet the rather easily met needs of people you don't know well than it is to actually show up and be like a really decent person when you're tired, when the kid's been up in the night, when your work deadlines are screaming at you. And um, frankly, I put a lot more stock in that these days. Like when I get to the end of a day, I don't say like, I'm so glad I was delightful to that dude in a coffee shop. I say like... Hey, I could have done better with Aaron when we were talking about this. When that portrait shows up on Unsplash (laughs) or some big photo website. Someone's got ketchup and duck fat all over (laughs) her face. (laughs) What's so interesting. Oh, sorry, Andy. Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, too, when you said that, like, it's even with social media, you just have this, like, connection that you feel with someone already that you feel like you have to kind of, like, invest so much more into that just because I know, like, this 10% of your life that's going on right now, so I feel this connection to you. So I think, like... That's even something that I've been having to learn is like 
investing time, not because I don't think these other people are not worthy of my time, but I just want to do what I can well. And, and what's interesting is it's like, the message is so counter-cultural, like, cause I feel like everything now is like about optimization and it's about networking and it's about small connections where this is the complete opposite of yeah. that, where it's not about like you're saying, efficiency, or mm -hmm. how am I, how can I account for every moment of my day to make sure it's working towards some goal? It's stopping totally. to kind of smell the roses a bit, yep. which the crazy thing is like, that is a countercultural message right now. Well, especially for someone who is freelance and a little bit public, right? Yeah. So Andy, I'm sure you feel this, like the, well, it would be great if you were like super awesomely nice to every person you meet in every green room because that could mm. rep represent work and da da da. Yeah. So there's this pressure that your whole career could change if you spend a disproportionate amount of energy on the people out there as opposed to the people in here. I just think that that math only works if your career is your highest priority, not your yeah. life or your soul or your family. Yeah. Um, the tension I re well, I was reading. I mean, I have a job nine to six. You, you're a writer, so you can you have a different kind of work life. Andy's a freelancer. Like I, the, you guys pulling back. I mean, you're taking earning away and oh, income away oh, and yeah. things like that. And it's like, how do you? How did you? You know, kind of wrestle with that. I mean, you're turning down speaking gigs. I mean, that's a significant source of revenue for your family. So it's like, how do you balance that change for your family? I mean, as a Providing, you know. Well, and that's where Aaron and I had a lot of conversations about what kind of life do we want, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and I think we talked about it in really kind of bare, clear terms. We could live in this kind of house and take these kind of vacations if I'm gone this many nights a year. Wow. Take it down one. If I'm only gone this many nights a year, we wow. can do this. If I'm only gone this many... And Aaron has... And this is, you know, I feel like one of the, one of the greatest gifts in my life is that God led me to Aaron... Um, because he's very much on the like, make art that you believe in and invest in this home and we'll figure out everything else. Like wow. he, he is the voice that he's a very countercultural person just in his nature. Yeah. Um, if, if, he, if my spouse said things to me, like, could, which like you could make a little more money. Right. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I can do it. I can coach put me in. I'm responsible. Right. I can right. get out yeah. there. doesn't matter. He was totally like. Um, some friends of ours asked us about this journey because you kind of do the math, right? If you're married and you're like, wait a minute, so Shauna's doing a lot less things, so someone else is doing more things, right? Um, and and so Aaron said, like, yeah, let, let's just talk about this. Um, is the house messier? Yes. Do we have less money? Yes. Um, do we have to have more strategic conversations about how to get things done around here? Yes. Here's the deal. I got my wife back. Like he didn't marry me for my earning potential, obviously. Um, we became partners out of love and adventure and desire to make beautiful things and to craft a meaningful life together. And that has nothing to do with money. Um, and so I'm really thankful to have a partner who has been like, yes, please be home more and be present more and connect with us more. And we'll figure out the bottom line of this another way. I, I even yeah. think what a key is like, not, it's not just physically being home because you, you talked about in the book, how like Saturday morning, everybody's all the boys are in pajamas and mm -hmm. everybody's just watching cartoons and resting and whatever. And you, while being physically present in the house would be making the beds and cleaning this and doing that. And you were not resting and you were not on the same page with them. And I even, that has been a struggle. So that's not a thing of like earning less or anything yeah. like that. That's just a, it's a 
a choice or a, a commitment to being present in the moment. Yeah, it's almost mm-hmm. a spiritual, uh, you know, principle to a degree of like Sabbath of mm-hmm. like, you know, God kept, could have kept creating for one more day, but it was like, it's time, there's time for yeah. reflection. And yeah. that's an essential part of creation. And Well, and I think, you know, even 75 years ago, there used to be a little bit more of a black and white answer to something like Sabbath, right? Like the idea was if you had a job, you drove there in your car to your office and you were there nine to five. And then, you know, I mean, out of the four of us, Cameron's the only one of us that does something like that, you know? Um, And I think, I think that's increasingly the norm. I think you're working while you're home, while you're with your kids, while you're with your family, and that stuff gets all jumbled up. And so that means there aren't automatic answers for what rest looks like or what Sabbath looks like because you could be, Jesse, you could be completely present and connected and totally wholly there with your kids or you could be a million miles away thinking about work stuff and to the outside viewer it looks the same. So it's a lot more about training our own kind of impulses and habits because for you it's not like well I'm home I'm here because you work at home and I work at home and you know um it's about a deeper sense of holding yourself accountable to live according to your values even though it might look uh different than it did 75 years ago or something Uh, we were just talking about like the people that I know (laughs) that are raving fans of yours (laughs) are like six or seven years younger than you maybe eight years younger than you right you know yeah. i mean even yeah. your wife yeah and and like and it's so interesting to me like the way you communicate your journey is it's so relatable to everybody like yeah. it's like you're just a little bit down the road just a little bit down the road and saying hey look what i learned yeah. and it's helping so many people maybe avoid those traps that you're walking through and 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 i'm i'm grateful for your approach and your voice and and, and your message it's it's impacting a lot of people. It's awesome. Wow. Impacted me. And then weird Chinese lady sitting next to me. Her. It impacted her. Yeah, yeah. It impacted her too. Yeah, just because Cameron was never reading that book. Not in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a negative experience for her because she was terrified of what Cameron's going to do. But other than her, it was, yeah. That was Shana Nequist. Make sure to check out her book, Present Over Perfect. Comes out on Tuesday, August 9th. Get it. Dare you. I dare you. Feels like uh, there's a lot of ways to sell a book, right, Mike? And I think a dare is perfectly acceptable. Literally anything that sells books <laughs> is acceptable in my 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 world. She's uh, and if you get it now, she packages it with a sham wow, a uh, little extra little sham wow <laughs> bonus if you order on the first day, That's August great. 9th. It's a great idea. Yeah, it would be an artisanal uh, sham wow if it was Shauna, though. Like it would be like you know beautiful and yeah. part of a table setting. And, and you didn't ever know you didn't ever know you needed it, but like you've realized your life has been empty without it the whole time. Well, you can't be a, as hospital as you are and. And you're and you're and you're cooking and you you got to clean, got to do little quick little cleanups. That little shamwow comes in handy when you're trying to juggle a lot of plates. Mm-hmm. You know, hydrophilic fibers—they're the future. <laughs> what happens now is your lucky day. Is your lucky day. So write it down. Yes, we're gonna stray. Yes, we're gonna stray. I wish I cried. Is your lucky
listening to James Vincent McMorrow. The song is Rising Water. All right, well, uh, it's time for your feedback. On last week's show, I, I don't even remember the wild, winding journey we went on about adopting manatees and interstate uh, uh, bottle, bottle trafficking for deposits in Michigan, that whole thing. I don't remember how we got to this question of the week. Yeah, what was it? It was a blur, but the question of the week was, what's your worst foot-and-mouth story? Uh, we wanted to know times that you've said something that made it very uncomfortable for others and you wish you could have gotten back. Uh, you went over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. You also hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. Here are a few of our favorites. I would like to start with my absolute favorite, which normally I don't pick a winner, but I have been chuckling at this since he posted it. Jason Sansbury said, after a lock-in, I was scheduled to do the affirmation of faith at my new church. Nailed the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can just see him more tired than he could possibly be. He just locks up and it's no just, way. I pledge allegiance to the flag. <laughs> oh, wow. I want that so desperately to be true, Jason. That's awesome. <laughs> Jordan said, I was hosting an awards show at a church called the Onis. It was like the Dundies for serving at the church. I was recognized. I was recognizing the elders' wives and started by saying, "These ladies let us borrow their husbands every week." That was followed by awkward chuckles and my apologies for the really weird way to say that. And no, we don't believe in open marriages, which good to, good to know. Uh, still learning. G Bonner thirty four said on Twitter. Uh, in high school, I worked at my dad's dentist office. I helped with payments and reception. He would write charges on a blue slip. Uh, while her daughter was in the exam room, a mom asked how much the treatment would cost. I replied, I'm waiting for her slip to come up so I can check her out. <laughs> and, then I, and then I just stared at the floor because it was so awkward. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, ouch. Perry Ross, 47, said, as a worship leader, I try to make sure what I say is well thought out and planned as to avoid rambling and saying anything stupid. First of all, well done, Perry. You are a lone wolf in that, but let's continue <laughs> on. Uh, well, one weekend we messed up somehow with the start of a song and had to start over. And I tried to make light of the situation by saying what our pastor says often when things don't go as planned in the service. Perry said that he said, well, after all, we are an imperfect church. But instead, he said, well, we serve an imperfect perfect god uh i mean uh why don't i stop stalking let's start the song two three four. <laughs> oh wow this song is about god's imperfection one two three four god <laughs> i loved i loved that one <laughs> chris uh chris branscombe uh replied on twitter he said uh i looked at this girl next to me at work and asked where'd you get, where'd she got her jacket uh from because it's huge and she pointed and said it's hers pointing to the girl next to her there was no way out of that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's huge. It's, it's hers. Yeah, I've read several that are just probably too inappropriate to read, I but know, uh, yeah, you yeah. can still read them on the episode page. I, it looks like we have like a correction and an apology, oh. too. Oh, wow. Evidently, I misstated the circumstance around the Oklahoma, the Ten Commandments at the Oklahoma State House uh, and the big statue of, of the, the demon that the Satanic Temple wants to erect there. Uh, so according to Mark, who lives in Oklahoma, he wanted to set us straight that the, uh, uh, there were legal fights. This UK Supreme Court did uphold the separation of church and state, which required the Ten Commandments to be moved. That means that the demon won't go up, but there's been a recent development where the, the state legislator has 
uh, added a ballot initiative that will come out on November to ask the residents to vote on whether they should just ignore this Oklahoma Supreme Court and put the Ten Commandments back, which could then open the door to the giant demon statue going back in Oklahoma City. So uh, uh, that's the update and the correction to how that story ends or may end. Well, there you go. Uh, we have a few uh, feedback segment. We have a few packages here and gifts that you guys have sent us. Uh, Eddie, uh, what do you have in front of you? Yes. There? So, well, a lot of this came from, uh, from so well, so one came from Josh Luttrell from South Dakota. Um, and Josh sent, I believe this was for Trapped in the Cage. We're just getting caught up on our mail here. But for Trapped in the Cage, sent a bunch of tea, sent uh, a bunch of South Dakota goodies. And uh, that was very kind of Josh. Oh, sent some packaged meat so oh that's what you always want is yeah. some uh, packaged meat, meat in the mail it's always a good plan meat in the mail. <laughs> oh this is 100 percent bison Ooh, some good bison some included good male bison meat bacon, that's what i was including mm, bacon and cranberry hungry. you know that's actually probably oh tonka bar Tatanka, just like on a, uh, like the trucks dances with wolves. I, I don't oh, eat the Tonka bars because it gets stuck between my teeth, and mm. you know I'm not using floss to get it out. <laughs> right. no. and I don't want bison. Oh, you're gonna have to gnaw on a whole bunch of celery just to counteract, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, you the, the meat. Aberdeen, South Dakota magnet. A lot yeah, of fun. Lots stuff. of fun. So South that was Dakota very nice. stuff. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we have a whole box here uh, with a long letter from Matt Evans of Clearwater, Florida. Hey, um, and. Uh, I'm, it I'm, says a really nice thing about what uh, listening to the show has meant to him over the years. Uh, he he uh, feels part of it, feels part of everything, and, and had a lot of fun connecting with uh, Trapped in the Cage. And Jesse, uh, just in time for Trapped in the Cage, he sent you a lot of movie candy and stuff for the event. He also sent us a J.R. Watkins room freshener spray since we were going to be trapped in here for so long. Uh, and some Tums for all, for you after you ate all the candy. So again, uh, Jesse, hope you can enjoy that while it's here in Orlando and you're in Virginia. Uh, and our friend Justin Burr sent, uh, again, just in time for Trapped in the Cage. Uh, it sent us a mug that I've been drinking out a of all day. custom-made mug. And the mug says, the, wow. senator, the senator will name your children. Mike, it has an American flag on it. Mike, that doesn't mean a lot to you, other than the fact we had a pretty good conversation a few weeks ago about how the senators are probably going to start naming kids children, as if it wasn't clear. Kids, children. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the context. Adults, yeah. children, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's basically a campaign platform I came up with. We'll get into it later because there's a lot of logistics with it. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, and I tried to make this, this slogan as uh, self-explanatory as possible. And Justin also sent some business cards that we'll give to Jesse. It says, Jesse Carey 2016, I will name your children. So for <laughs> Jesse's senatorial race, you've already got plenty he of business cards. He went to vistaprint.com and printed up an entire box of business cards. Seriously. That say that. Yeah, and a, and a mug that says, the senator will name your children, which I now drink my diet soda out of. Well, there you go. Well, thanks, everybody, for sending us uh, goodies. We always appreciate uh, the mail. It's great. Okay, it's time for this week's... Editorial question of the week. Well, earlier in the show, we learned that uh, Mr. Science Mike has no problem falling asleep, and Eddie just weeps silently watching Jimmy Fallon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, actually. Nailed it. (laughs) So, it got us thinking. I Like, last night, I mean, this is par for the course. Last night at 2.45, I was winding down, playing a little Candy Crush in bed. You know, like, just, you know, that's just how I do. And I get four or five hours sleep, and that's it. Uh, Jesse, you stay up late? I do. I stay up late and wake up very early. Not voluntarily, but I just don't really sleep a lot. 
Actually, I learned that in Lollapalooza because I could have slept till one because things don't really get kicking off until, you know, yeah. mid-afternoon at Lala. No. Uh, yeah. Jesse was bright-eyed he's, and bushy-tailed at nine. Yeah, we, re- yeah we, we wow. got back to the room at like three and at like 9 a.m. I'm, I'm leaning over Cameron-wise in bed going, Cameron! <laughs> Cameron! I can't reach the cereal. <laughs> Do you, I can't. So the question of the week, we want to know, how do you get to sleep? What's your routine? Uh, yeah. Mike seems amazing and impossible. Right. Uh, what do you do to wind down, clear your mind, clear your spirit, and fall asleep and have a good night's sleep? What's the warm milk thing? Why does that work? Why do people... What? You drink warm milk? No, I'm just pointing to the mic because ho- I'm assuming Mike will have a response to that. Mike, he will know why. Ask Science Mike. Here it is. Hashtag, why does warm milk put you to sleep? Uh, when milk is warm, some of the proteins unfold a little bit in a way that uh, they break down faster in your bloodstream uh, in, in digestion and help you release some of the neurotransmitters related to sleep. I have a follow-up question, and I, and I, and I need you to answer this, Mike, because I'm fascinated. Every time I listen to you, how did you know that? Like, Because you didn't even skip a beat. There was no editing in that. You just answered it. How do you know that? When did you learn that? I don't know when I specifically learned it. Um, I I have a really high uh, um, abstract memory, but really low episodic. So I kind of distill the meaning from things without necessarily being able to connect them to an origin. But <laughs> I try to read eight books a month, and I oh. read a lot of scientific journals and several scientific magazines, and I just kind of absorb everything I read. If you want to re- reply to the question of the week, how do you get to sleep? Well, what's your sleep rhythm? What's your sleep pattern? Tell us uh, if you have any unusual habits or, or helpful tips uh, that we could share. We will read our favorites on next week's show. Mm-hmm. You can post on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com or you can tweet us at Relevant Podcast. Well, this has been fun. I, we've had a lot of fun with authors today. Uh, yeah. Mike, we are so grateful for you uh, joining us. His new book is called Finding God in the Waves, How I Lost My Faith and Found It Through Science. Uh, Mike also is a host on the Liturgist podcast mm-hmm. with Gunger. He has Ask Science Mike. Um, and it's I got my question answered one time on Ask Science did Mike. Did you really? You got yeah, your question? It was, a story. <laughs> it was a really cool moment. I tweeted Ask Science Mike just like I should, and I and I got my question answered. What was your question? Yeah, well, I'm not gonna do it now because I won't do it justice, but I will I will post a link to the episode that Mike Very really cool. thoughtfully answered my question. That's amazing. I'm gonna listen to that. Yeah, it's all, it's an yeah. amazing answer. The book is uh Finding on the Waves. it's the story of having faith, losing it, and finding it again through science, revealing how the latest in neuroscience physics physics and biology help us understand God, faith, and ourselves. It's a very unique perspective because usually those people don't uh, kind of bring those things together. Yeah, Mike, you're going to get pushback on this, huh? Probably. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I get less pushback than you'd think. People are usually pretty kind and gracious with me. And I I can say, like, even if for some reason people don't agree with points in the book, it's a really enjoyable read. Uh, uh, like I said, Eddie, some of us have a good connection and, uh, you know, might have gotten a book a couple weeks ago and it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks also to Shauna Nequist for joining us. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at S Nequist. Uh, her book present over perfect is out on Tuesday, August 9th. You should get it. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can follow Mike on Twitter. I just did at that. Mike McCargue. Mike is good right. luck. Mike my is, name is impossible to spell. Oh no. <laughs> but when Mike gets fired up on something, it's like argue with an H. It is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you but it's fun. Cause Mike will do one tweet and you're like, Oh boy. And <laughs> then like <laughs> Mike mm, Chargu. Yep. But he is you. You should follow him on Twitter. It's really fun to watch. He's gotten a little political lately. Oh, oh yes. I've never been political 
forever yeah. until this cycle. You have it's the never, floss thing, isn't it? You it's, got me, it's got me roped in, too, no pun intended. <laughs> Mike, has, Mike has snapped hardcore. It has been awesome to watch. But you obviously care deeply about it, right? Like this was, I, get, I just, I hate politics. Uh, so it's, like, I, it, it, it kills me that, like, people, the most tweeted, retweeted things I've ever done are political statements because I try to stay out of that stuff. It's just this election is so weird that I've jumped in and yeah. I don't plan to ever repeat that mistake again. <laughs> Thanks to our show's sponsors. Uh, remember, audible.com. Uh, if you want to listen to it, Audible has it. It has more than 250,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio programs. Uh, you can get a free 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com slash relevant podcast. And thanks also to Squarespace. You can set your website apart and start your free trial today at squarespace.com. And don't forget to offer, enter offer code RELEVANT to get 10% off your first purchase if you decide to sign up. Awesome. On that note, we'll wrap it up. Uh, the new issue of RELEVANT went to the printer the other day, which means it's coming out in a few weeks. Can't wait. It's one of my favorites. I so, you have I, a piece in it. I know. I was really honored. That Je- was a really neat thing. Jesse has a few pieces in it. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a gr- yeah, I'm very excited about this issue. I kind of feel like we keep one-upping ourselves with these. The, uh, yeah, this one this one is an interesting uh, dance between. There are a lot of important things mm-hmm. going on right now. You got the election. You have you know ra- race issues in America and violence and heavy heavy things. It was an uh, it was a fun dance, a good tension uh, putting this together and diving deep into substantive issues mm-hmm. that our generation has to uh, re- wrestle with, but also having an accessible, fun, entertaining issue as well. So uh, that's coming out soon. If you go to relevantmagazine.com, you can subscribe today. It's only a buck a month, and uh, I think you'll like it. Plus, certainly like the support. Uh, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Eddie Koffeltz. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Science Mike. Check out his podcast. He's awesome. And then listen to us. We'll see you next week. Fuss in your teeth keeps your smile looking great. And it's good for you. Because a healthy smile will lead to healthy gums, which keeps your body healthy too. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Connect with us on Twitter, at Relevant Podcast, and get bonus material from this episode and more at the podcast section on relevantmagazine.com. And don't forget to check the magazine out. It's available on newsstands and at the iTunes App Store, or you can subscribe online at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. Your baby teeth will fall out. Oh boy, the tooth fairy, but they're important too. So when you're young, form the habits that you need to have your whole life through. Brushing your teeth keeps your smile looking great. And it's Big floss in the federal government have been feeding us nothing but a pack of lies for the last 35 years.